Welcome to Hooplecast. I am your host, Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts... Carol. <laughs> Matt. Mel. I don't know. I don't know the order. <laughs> and we're a bunch of Hoopleheads. It's been a while. We've been on a hiatus for a while. <laughs> I wasn't sure whether I was supposed to go first or not. Well, it's me okay. Neither. I, I would have edited that so that it looked seamless, but now it's it's too late. We're, we're past the threshold. <laughs> okay, we're a bunch of Hoopleheads, so... We're just Hoopleheads, guys. Yeah, they have to us. Hey, we are joined by a very special guest. Please welcome back to the podcast, Nutty. Hello, everyone. Hi, Nutty. Hi, Nutty. Nutty, our savior. (laughs) (laughs) Our our lord and savior, yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We should point out that Nutty was not supposed to guest on this episode, but uh, she had to make a switch with Russell. So thank you, Russell. So thanks so much, Russell. You're you're a, a true gentleman and a scholar. Thank you for uh, <laughs> accommodating us. What's everyone been up to? Anything? Nothing. Uh, nothing. You've just been hibernating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hibernating through a Canadian winter, which wasn't as bad as last winter. But. Yeah. Yeah, but you guys got more of a Canadian winter than I did, and I get usually get it worse in Ontario. That's true. Mm. We had like two storms. All right, that's enough chit chat. Um, we are. <laughs> Let's get to it. Um, we still have one guest spot that is free, and that's for episode three. And he, I think it's a good one. So yeah, I'm kind of bummed because you picked it specially for me, mm-hmm. and I can't do it. But so. Yeah. If there's someone out there listening and it hasn't been picked by the time you hear this, guys, go go on the Facebook group or send an email, hooplecast at gmail.com, and request that episode. I'd love to have a guest for every episode this season. There's only 12 episodes left, so... Yeah. You know, don't let them go to waste. Grab it now while you can. Don't be a hooplehead. That's right. <laughs> Wait a minute. Don't we want them to be hoopleheads? Eh, yes or no. <laughs> Hmm. Well, we want them to be fans of the show, but we don't want them to be so stupid that they don't participate. <laughs> it's it's a fine line. <laughs> well, I say that when I turned on the um, video this morning and heard the theme song, I had a like I had a an emotional reaction of like, oh, it's so good to hear this again. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to think, what if we were doing this live when the show was on? We would have had a like a ten month gap for new episodes. Yeah, that would have been never... really painful. Yeah, but it, you know, it's just I was kind of surprised that you know because I, I just like had you know warm fuzzies when it when the when the theme song came on. It's like, oh, it's been a while. This is nice. Yeah, <laughs> I missed it too. I missed you guys. Aww. We do have a reader's theater. This one's appropriate for the episode because it's all about schooling. It's all about book learning, guys. Oh, cool. And our reader is Michael David of the Fallout Feed, which is a Fallout 4 podcast. And if you listen to Intro to X, you will know Michael David very well. The following news items appeared in the Black Hills Daily Times May 19th, 1877 and June 7th, 1877. It is the duty of every good citizen to constitute himself a committee of one to advance the cause of education. The bulwark of a nation are its public schools, the places of learning, 
open to all without costs. As yet, nothing has been done towards establishing them beyond the formation of districts and the election of district officers. Their operations will necessarily be slow on account of no funds to operate with. Yet with the assistance of the people, it seems that one or more schools could be established and the boys and girls of this community could prepare themselves for careers of useful men and women. Have you any school system in your community? Or are there any schools established? And what of their condition and standing? Are questions often asked from abroad. We are often in receipt of them and other communications similar. And what can we answer? Among the persons coming into this country or planning to come hither are families, and one of the first things to which a parent naturally turns his mind in connection with emigration is school facilities for his children. We have a school commissioner or superintendent who has made every effort to form a district and get things in such a shape that we can have these needed institutions, public schools. But as yet, after several calls and many attempts, has been unsuccessful. And we are at this writing compelled to answer the questions that we have no schools and don't know that we ever will have. Troy, formerly Gayville, has done far better in that direction than has been done here. For Superintendent Hanrahan reports matters in such shape at that place that in the very near future, public schools will be in operation, and upon a good basis. Now, why the same cannot be said of us here in the metropolis of the hills, it can be done if only a little time and attention be paid to these matters. The superintendent gives us one more opportunity for the movement to be begun, and has appointed another, and he informs us the last meeting for organization which the law will permit him during the season, and for humanity's sake, and the benefit of the community in which we live should not be neglected. Let us have a full meeting and make known the wants of the people, and the results will, we guarantee, be entirely satisfactory, and our next answer can be good schools and plenty of them. All the schools. <laughs> oh, all the children. Uh, weren't the kids just the most adorable this episode? They yes. Where'd they all come from? <laughs> yeah. They were there. We just didn't see them because they weren't hanging out in town. Mm-hmm. Well, this hiding. is a this is a bustling metropolis now. Mm. How much time has passed? They're probably spread out all over. I think we started season two in May 1877, which is when this article would have been written, and then season two was about a span of a couple weeks. And this premieres a couple weeks after that, so it might be June or July, eighteen seventy-seven. So, I mean, maybe this fits the the timeline of when schools are schools are starting. But the, I don't think Martha's little schoolhouse might be like it may not be officially sanctioned as a legitimate school. Oh, with that textbook. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. That would have been probably a normal textbook. <laughs> yeah, that's probably. what I was thinking. It was a normal textbook, and <laughs> yeah. I yep. found a copy of it. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. It is, um, well, we'll get into it. <laughs> yeah, I've read some of the stuff that was in some of those t- textbooks, and it's uh different from now, that's for sure. Huh. Thank you for reading that, Michael David. Yes, thank you.
This is episode 25, the season 3 premiere, Tell Your God to Ready for Blood, written by David Milch and Ted Mann, directed by Mark Tinker, original air date June 11th, 2006. Harp. <laughs> Harp. Whoop, Google, boop, boop. Uh, there, there was a change to the main title sequence. A name was added. Did anyone notice? Uh, a, no. uh, can, oh, you mean an actor? A new actor was added to the uh, the list. It's not who no. you'd think, either. It's not Joe McCraney. For a second, I almost said Nev Campbell, but no, that was House of Cards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? She's on House of Cards? That's cool. Yeah, the yeah. most recent season. Oh. Frankie was down as guest star at the end. That yeah. I saw. Yeah, it's kind of strange that uh, he's is not in the uh, not the main titles. No, it's not Richardson either. It's oh. actually uh, Brent Sexton who plays Harry Manning. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, first of all, Brent Sexton has been in a ton of stuff. Harry, isn't that the guy that's running against uh, um, Bullock for sheriff? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, Harry Manning is the guy uh, at the Number 10 Saloon, who's the bartender. He shot one of the Dan's oh, the guy last... Spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can never Bummer remember. Dan. If, was it sl- oh, it was a Bummer Dan? I can never con- yeah. I get confused about the Dan's. Was it Bummer Dan or Slippery Dan? I think it was Bummer Dan because he wanted to shoot Slippery Dan. Right. I think. So, <laughs> that's who Harry Manning is, and uh, he Brent Sexton was added to the main titles. We still haven't seen that Twin Peaks actor. I told you, Matt, there is one. Mm. All right. He's probably going to get shot in the head as soon as he shows up. <laughs> Knowing this show. <laughs> By the way, this was a really tough episode to recap because everything was very compressed and was going back and yeah. forth between scenes. So I had a really uh, tough time. I'm just, I'm just saying. I found it, yeah, I found it hard to follow just as it was. So, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it was tough. This was a tough episode. It was. Yeah. But it is a gorgeous morning in the Black Hills. Al drinks his coffee as the hustings are being erected in the thoroughfare. George Hurst is resting on the floor of his hotel. Inside the gem, some Cornish men are speaking in their native tongue, and a hooplehead behind them is mocking them, saying, Parp, parp, and whoop, google, boop, boop. The man shoots one of the Cornish men, and Dan throws them out. Why is that an insult, though? Parp, parp. He's like, just I making just, fun of their yeah, language. but I was yeah. like, I was like, what is he talking about? He's he's the one that looks stupid right now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. At first, I was like, what is this? Like, it, it, it sounded like he was. Have you ever seen John Malkovich or being John Malkovich when mm-hmm. every, that scene's just like Malkovich, Malkovich, <laughs> Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. Yeah, I thought it was somebody's name. Like, I thought he was trying to get some attention. I, I know. thought it was his name too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, um, I have, like, those first pictures that they were showing before, before the, the murder and everything, I, they had me, like, totally confused as to what was going on, because I like having my notes, like, is that a gallows they're building? Hmm. And, and I, I assume it was a platform for them to t- speak from, to the speeches and stuff. Carol, but- it's both. <laughs> <laughs> and then and it looked like uh Hurst when he was like like on the floor, which kinda looked like he was under the bed or something. Like under a bed frame. I was like, is that a jail cell? Because it, it almost looked like there were bars and stuff, but I guess it was just because he had had the walls broken out and stuff. And and they were the 
the studs in the wall or I don't know, but I was just like, okay, is that a gallows? Is he in jail? What's going on? Hmm. <laughs> well, we did learn in the previous season that George Hurst has a back problem. So remember, cause Al was trying to sympathize yeah. like, Oh, I have a groin problem. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm assuming that George Hurst was on the floor because he, the, the hard surface probably lets him sleep better or it's more comfortable, alleviates the pain somewhat. I thought yeah. he was just drunk. <laughs> <laughs> he's also, uh, he's also smirking because Al is, Al supposes that he organized the shooting at the gem and so Hurst is just like waiting. He's like, right now my guys are in the gem doing this murder, and he's happy about it. Like, he's a little, yeah. a little smug. He's a little smug on the floor there. I definitely got that he was involved with the shooting and that he was smirking about it and uh, that he was lying on the floor on purpose. I mean, after a while, like, all of those different questions kind of became resolved. But at the beginning here, it was definitely like, okay, we're in the middle of stuff. Let's catch up because they're not really telling you. They're giving you hints. Yeah, expect you to to figure it out as we go. Mm-hmm. I hate to admit this ignorance, but where are Cornish people from? <laughs> I had to look it up too. Cornwall. <laughs> yep. It's another one of those. Um, I don't want to say ethnicities, but cultures from within the British Isles. You know, it's like Welsh and so forth. Yeah. So they have their own language. And they definitely are treated differently by people who are not of that uh, culture. Yeah, I thought, I was like, aren't these people from Great Britain? Like, uh, yeah, that's what I thought. They're they're from England. They're not only just from Great Britain, they're from England. Yeah, Yeah. they're from England, but they have their own style of dress, their own folklore, their own naming customs, agricultural practices, games, pastimes. In Language. 2014, the Cornish were granted minority status within the UK. So what's the language like? I'm just like, is it similar to Welsh or is there like it, a... It, it, uh, Welsh and um, Gaelic and other Celtic languages, they all have similar roots. So it would yeah. be similar. Yeah. Which, if you've ever heard those languages, and I say this as uh, someone who was raised by a Gaelic grandmother, uh, it sounds like nonsense. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I loved hearing it, but it sounds like nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you don't speak it. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's so foreign from all the other languages. You know, it's not Germanic. It's not based on Latin. So it doesn't have the roots of modern languages. So it just sounds very foreign. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's sh- that it should be the language spoken in the fairy kingdom. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's almost tribal, maybe in a way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Since 2010, the British government has provided over 500,000 pounds in a development program to promote the Cornish language. Cool. The Cornish Language Partnership. They're bringing it back, guys. <laughs> They're bringing back the park parks. Pretty soon we'll all be speaking Cornish. (laughs) Now I found this trivia. There is some evidence that would suggest there were problems with the Cornish miners during the Homestakes early history. Local newspapers accounts suggest that the problems were among the Cornish miners themselves, 
Rather than between the Cornish men and the mine owners, or with George Hurst specifically, the Cornish were sought after by the mine owners as they were considered to be the best hard rock miners in the world, having had a long history of mining in their own country. Though the mine owners might have preferred them, they were often discriminated against by other immigrants who were resentful of their clannishness and semi-privileged industrial situation. So that kind of fits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... It's not that George Hurst doesn't like the Cornishman, it's that he needs to kill somebody in the gem to prove that he's alpha male, so he gets some other people to kill the Cornishman, and they would have no problem with it, because they don't like the Cornish. Because the Cornish are special. Couldn't understand why that proves he's alpha male. What was he trying to prove? He can do anything he wants in that town. Right. And, and Al has... Al is just as much under his thumb as everybody else. I think it, think it was easy to get a, a Cornishman killed, but I think those particular Cornishmen, uh, didn't they mention something about uh, one of them having a history of unionizing? So he had reason to have yes. them killed? Yes, so two birds, one stone. Exactly, did, yeah. yeah. Were they actually saying that he did or doing a whole thing of you don't really know for sure what it was. Yeah, I don't think we get an absolute answer. Like, I don't think he says anything. It's just, well, this is, this is the background of the people. And well, if you were running a mind, would you want a unionizer around? Uh And, uh, didn't Ellsworth talk about, uh, Hearst's practices and, and how he was very anti-union and anti-worker. Well, he ha- does, doesn't have a respect for human life. He sent them yeah. like into the mine, and the mine collapsed, and people were killed. Yep. Yeah. And he, he sent them in when he knew that right. it was uh, in, in danger of collapse. Right. Right. No OSHA back then. No. So did anyone recognize the guy who was saying part, part? No. Boop, no. Google, boop, boop. Anyone watch Arrow? Yeah. No. Okay, that was Paul Blackthorne. He plays like the the uh, cop guy, and he was he, he played the wizard thing, right? Plays Quentin Lance on Arrow. Yes, he and he was also Harry Dresden in the Dresden Files. Harry Dresden, that's who I was. Talking oh, about. I love yeah. him! I didn't even realize that was him. Yeah, well, this this was the that's, beginning of his career. Was, he oh. well, I don't know the beginning of his television career. I guess I mean he hadn't done a lot. Well, I guess he was on 10 episodes of 24, 5 episodes of ER. Nice him. Here he's just credited as Hearst Man Needle and Cornishman. <laughs> Doesn't even have a character name. I, I really like that actor. I didn't think he looked anything like Harry Dresden, but he acted like him. Yeah, I like him a lot too. And I, he and, um, Billy Zane. He and Billy Zane, mm-hmm. like, are like, could be brothers. Yes, Billy Zane would be the attractive one, uh, you know, the flashy one, and then he'd be the one that nobody really noticed, and they're like, oh yeah, he was there too. <laughs> Not that he's ugly, it's just Billy Zane is very flashy, I think. I'm trying to like, come up with the face of Billy Zane. Uh, did you ever see The Phantom? Or Titanic? No. Yeah. Oh yeah, Titanic. <laughs> he's, the, uh, he's the jerky <laughs> fiancé. Oh, oh yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's also a goon in, in Back to the Future. Is he? Is who Back to the Future? He's one of the three goons behind Biff in Back oh, to the really? Future. Yeah. Wow. That. He must not have smiled because I didn't notice him. 
Well, Mel wanted a like word of the episode segment for season three, so I wrote down hustings, which is the, the scaffolding that they were building in the thoroughfare. Hustings. A meeting at which candidates in an election address potential voters. Huh. What about apoplexy? <laughs> <laughs> they brought that up and I was like, what does that mean again? Yeah. That that means like um conniption fit, that kind of thing. Oh yeah. Unconsciousness or incapacity resulting from cerebral hem- hemorrhage or stroke. Yeah, not oh. usually well, I usually use yeah, it's not usually used as a medical definition, more like, I'm feeling apoplectic. Yeah. Like agitated. Exactly. Yeah, it means uh. like you're going gonna have some kind of a... Oh, an informal use incapacity or speechlessness caused by extreme anger. Uh-huh. So my yeah. word of the day was rejected by Mel. Mel, this segment is your responsibility now. You have to come <laughs> up with the word. It wasn't rejected. I, I, I like word. It was a new word. I'd never heard that yeah. one before. It'd be words of the day. <laughs> All right. <laughs> when you first said that, I thought she wanted everybody to have pick out a word for the episode. No, no, no. If you have a question about a word, though, like, why not bring it up? True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seth wants Martha to look over his writings. He needs to make a speech and predicts he'll be pelted with refuse. He is running against Harry Manning for sheriff. Saul Star is a nominee for mayor. Yeah, I was trying to sort out who was running for what and why everyone was so tr- stressed out for a long time. Mm-hmm. Then it seems so obvious once. <laughs> yeah, so it's Seth versus Harry and Saul versus E.B. And I guess Charlie was just going to give a speech in favor of Seth. Yeah, I guess. Because I don't think anyone's running again, running for deputy. You appoint your deputies, right, if you're sheriff? I think so. Unless he's going to run for something else. Ellsworth is moving furniture around his and Alma's new home. She wants a coverlet fetched from the hotel. He's going to take Sophia to school so she can learn to bake bread and plant beets, apparently. And after they leave, Alma faints. I thought that was adorable that Ellsworth is, like, moving furniture for Alma. Like, I was mm. like, aww. He's like, it's almost like he's, like, a kept man or something. <laughs> I think he is. <laughs> That's adorable. Anyways, he was yes. Very sweet about it too, right? Mm-hmm. But I like that he also wasn't, you know, he was he was making semi snide comments to you know, kind of snarky comments to uh the kid. Mm-hmm. But in a nice way, you know, in a in a yeah. cute way. But he also wasn't just like she wasn't walking all over him or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. Though, that so I thought like it hurt, like Sophia talking about baking bread and planting beets. I was like, is that what they're teaching her in school? <laughs> bread and beets? <laughs> <laughs> um, it might be part of it. I mean, like, don't you remember doing uh, like things not not book learning? Jeez, that's <laughs> all I can think of. Like not out of a book. Yeah, like, you know, you do arts, you do crafts, you do projects. I mean, we raised bees. We we did uh, do planting. We planted to learn um, uh, the cycles of plants and, and things of that nature. Um, sure. That A like practical that. education. What was it? Soybeans. That's what we grew. Soybeans. That's cool. There was a yeah. little greenhouse at the last school I worked at. 
That's cool. You guys yeah. went to awesome schools. <laughs> <laughs> I did go to an awesome school. Public school for the win. Yeah. 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 In science class, the kids are grow things and stuff like that. That's awesome. But back then, I'm sure there was a lot more practical classes than there are now. Yeah. Well, and that's what girls need to know how to do, after all. I mean, who else is going to bake the bread? Absolutely. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they all need to know how to plant stuff. Especially mm-hmm. in Deadwood. Yeah. Yeah, where stuff doesn't grow very well. Oh, William wanted to plant a garden. Oh, no, he what? He did That's plant so a garden. That's so sad. He would have been, he would have aced that class. They should <laughs> name, they should name that garden William. I'm going to go plant some beets in William. Well, no, that's going to be the sunflower's name. <laughs> oh, William. yeah, name the sunflower William. Well, and, and didn't, didn't Martha, um, like, see the sproutings of whatever William had planted? Yes. Yeah. Like, didn't that just tear her up last season? Yep. Yeah. Oh, it feels. Yeah. I know. Oh. Sad. Moses still watching the Shazami. Jane thinks Joni is off to the Bella Union. Mose and Jane argue, and then she goes and finds a hidden bottle. Oh, Jane is in a place. Yeah, these two are hilarious, though. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> like Bose is taking over Charlie's spot with Jane. I can't, I can't, I can't enjoy watching Jane anymore because I know she's going to die of alcoholism <laughs> in real, in like in real life. Yeah, as we go on, I start to notice: is Jane going deaf? Mm. No, people really were talking low. They, they really I know were- they were mumbling, but <laughs> sorry. I think a lot of it is Jane just. I mean, we'll get to that part, but Jane just being on a different wavelength from everybody else. Yeah. I mean, other people are, you know, like pulling into themselves because of the grief and and everything, and Jane is just doing the opposite. It's like, yeah, I've got grief. <laughs> Jane, to me, is like an adult child, um, you know, because cause young kids, they they don't keep everything inside. If they're feeling something, they're going to tell you about it. And that, to me, is Jane. She's feeling something. She's going to tell you. She right. doesn't like wearing underwear. She's going to tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you she's know? not a fan of subtlety and, like, melancholy moods. It's sort of like, yeah. let's do something. Like, either we get drunk or we fight. But this kind of, like quiet self-pity like it's not her yeah she wants to feel it like if Mm -hmm. if she's gonna feel something she's gonna feel it hard yeah there is a humorous moment in the thoroughfare when merrick says to seth framing of a dream and martha whispers to seth he's saying that to you (laughs) and seth waves (laughs) that was was pretty great yeah That that showed good chemistry between seth and martha which i'm happy yeah they're in a really good place Right now, yeah. Uh, it's nice just to remind partnership Seth to be like a cordial human being. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, they be, yeah. There definitely is chemistry there now. Mm-hmm. It's nice. It's a lot less awkward. Yeah, mm-hmm. and all it took was a kid dying. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. I know, but it's true. <laughs> Richardson eats some leftover breakfast off a used plate. Ew. That was great. I was like, man, I missed you, Richard Richardson. You're amazing. <laughs> and just like, he's like a, he's totally like a dog. Just like sheepishly looking back. Like, what was it he ate? Bread. Was it bread? Yeah, bread off like, plate. 
You know, that didn't even startle me. It just seemed very natural. (laughs) Yeah. He was like sopping up some leftover eggs or something off the plate with the bread and stuffing it in his mouth. So he like wiped around the dish before he. Yeah. (laughs) That's gross. (laughs) (laughs) It's Richardson. I mean, come on. But you can't expect much, really. For our miscellaneous prediction, we were going to predict the total seconds of screen time for Richardson. He had a lot today. And he had a fair bit this episode. And With that scene, we're at 11 seconds. I don't remember my my, uh, guess, obviously. Well, we'll cover it at the end. Al wants to speak to Seth about hers. Sophia wants to plant beets. There's just a lot of stuff happening, like little snippets of things, which is why this one was hard to recap. So, can I um, say that Sophia's speaking voice is completely adorable? Why is she? Yeah, she's never been allowed to speak before. It's this so <laughs> cute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I so, find it humor that they didn't give, they didn't even have her try and do an accent or anything. No, completely I, adorable. I found a photo of her, like a set photo. Of all the kids walking to school, and in one photo, she looks she looks fucking pissed. Oh yeah, <laughs> she is angry. Let me see if I can find it. It may not have been from this episode. I think they spend a lot of time walking through mud. Yeah, and probably being told to keep their clothes all perfect, you know, and not get them dirty and. No, I'm not going to waste time looking for that. I'm sorry. I'm just sitting here going, you know, this isn't me doing that, right? What? <laughs> <laughs> going off topic. You can you can post it later on the. Yeah, thing. Well, I I will I will mention it again when we get to that episode, whenever it is, because I guess it's a future one. Okay. Charlie briefs Seth on the shooting earlier in the morning, and he ponders for a moment how nice it is to see all the children marching to school. Then he looks up, and Jane gives him the finger. <laughs> what a lovely oh come on I love it (laughs) E.B. mocks Richardson for wanting to go to the speeches and admonishes him for stealing the leftover food Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know if we're going back and forth between these scenes like I don't even know like how I wrote this out it was just a a challenge but we're at a running total of 50 seconds of Richardson screen time Jeez. It feels like they should be equals now that he's not the owner of the hotel. Never. Farnham's always going to be an ass. And he's, so, and he's still a manager. Yeah, oh, I guess. No, I just think, I really do think that if he treated Richardson better, that Richardson wouldn't be forced to steal bread from the plates and be yelled at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I noticed, well, I don't know, I didn't notice, I I just randomly thought while I was watching this episode for some reason that over all of the seasons, we haven't seen Seth do much policing. Like, he doesn't do much sheriff work from what we've Usually in a Western that has a sheriff in it, you see him fighting bad guys, and we barely ever see that from him. Well, you have to remember that it's really a secondary role, because he has a business. Yeah. Yeah. And he he relies a lot on uh Charlie mm-hmm. as deputy. Yeah. When Charlie's in town, it's like Charlie does everything. 
I have uh, an anecdote of Seth's sheriffing that I will type up and post on the Facebook group. Okay. The, the other thing is that the place in many ways is almost self-policed. You know, yeah. I mean, between Al and Cy and all that stuff, yeah, there are people getting killed, there's all sorts of crazy stuff happening, but he doesn't, it's like the sheriff doesn't have a lot of authority to do anything about it except, you know, knock heads occasionally. and mm-hmm. He's just there to kind of help manage it. Yeah, he's he's more a, you know, managing the, the insanity around there. Make sure nothing goes too wrong. Like a bouncer at a nightclub or something. Yeah. yeah. And also, in some ways, almost to act as like a liaison between all the power brokers who are actually managing the violence in their respective, like, kind of like, he's got a bunch of little fiefdoms there. Mm. He's got to sort of make them all work together. Well, we we saw him break up uh, that fight between Steve and the general. They uh-huh. were going to hard feather him. Uh, so they put, you know, you could put people in, like, protective custody. He can separate people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, we haven't seen the soap guy for a long time. Oh, yeah. Forgotten about the soap guy. Uh, the last time we saw Soapy was in the bicycle race. Not a race, oh, but maybe yeah. the bicycle event. I think. I don't... Maybe, maybe he uh-huh. stepped on one of his products and slipped right out of town. <laughs> oh. Okay, so it has like zo- zooming down the thoroughfare on one foot, like on a piece of soap. <laughs> right out of town. <laughs> Long ago, I I guess I just didn't remember having seen him then. The children are praying at school. Mm-hmm. Joni arrives at the Bella Union. She is angry at the horrors. They're not clean. Lila is on the needle. Joni has been caring for Cy while he recuperates from being stabbed by Andy Creamed. Cy wonders if the girls are at loose ends because they don't know if Joni is coming or going. And I was just, err, Cy's a lie. I know. Yeah, you knew I do like that he takes out his Bible when Joni's in the room, but as soon as she leaves, he puts it yeah. away. I love yeah. that. I saw a thing um, when I was looking for something else. I saw something that said that... Uh, Originally, um, the guy who plays Cy, whose name escapes me right this second, um, was supposed to play Swearingen, but he got sick. Hmm. I had not heard that. Yeah, and that, uh, um. That would have been a whole different show. Yeah, and that Milch had, uh, pro- Powers Booth, Booth, that's it. Yeah. And that, that, swear- that Milch had promised, uh, Booth that if he got well, he would, you know, cast him and put him on Deadwood for... Okay, here's some trivia. This comes from Alan Seppenwall's blog. Ian McShane was actually Milch's third choice to play Swearingen. First, he wanted to use Ed O'Neill, who had just yeah. played the lead in Milch's short, shortly-lived series, Big Apple, which also featured Kim Dickens, but HBO was nervous about building one of its shows around a man still too associated with Al Bundy. Then Milch cast Powers Booth, but Booth took ill shortly before the pilot was supposed to film, so then he cast Ian McShane. I I could see Ed O'Neill as Al Swearingen. I'm so glad it's Ian McShane, though, because I think he really develops the character, but compared to the real Al Swearingen and, and probably where David Milch was originally coming from, 
I can see that working as a as a pretty good fit. People knew Ian McShane from Lovejoy, obviously. If you're, if you're yeah, familiar I think with only that, Brits but, did though, right? <laughs> if you but American audiences didn't really know Ian McShane, so they didn't know yeah. what to expect. So there was an element of surprise, and sort of like you're watching a star being made. Like, it's like exactly. a revelation, and I think that's really great. Whereas, you know, Ed O'Neill, like, I, I never, I did watch Married with Children, but I have seen him in a lot of stuff, and I had just seen him in Big Apple, and, like, he can play a gruff, grizzled guy, so yep. I would not have been, like, oh, that's Al Bundy at the gem. Like, I wouldn't have thought that. That's weird. When when did this originally air, though? This started, I think, 2003? Yeah, I think I think it just hadn't been long yeah. enough away from Married with Children. I mean, you have to remember that uh, Fox used to not be a real network at all, and it was made on the backs of Married with Children and The Simpsons. So and, that would have followed. I've never even watched an episode of Married with Children. Don't. And I associate the guy with yeah. with that character. Just from the advertising and everything else over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Married yeah. Married with Children ended in 97. Deadwood started in 2004. So it was like seven mm-hmm. years later. But, of course, Married with Children lived in syndication for a really long yeah. time. I think it's still in syndication. Probably. Probably is. Yeah. I like how Cy is all, he's all uh, holding his Bible and stuff now. It's almost like the... Uh, the Holy Spirit was imbued to him through that knife by Andy. <laughs> fill you with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Um, <laughs> I, one of my notes was that, all right, so there's this idea, right, that there's a, an attitude that some people have, and it's the attitude of somebody who's never been beaten, okay? And that everybody needs to be beaten at some point in their life. And that doesn't mean physically, it just, Everybody needs to be knocked down a peg to to really understand how things are. And my hope is that this is the beating that Cy needed. <laughs> and I hope he learns from it, but I don't think he will. I still think he should die. <laughs> well, I, I would say the thing with the Bible just indicates that, you know, Cy is still Cy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In my notes, I've got that Everybody is so incredibly tense. Like the Joni scene with um with the the whores just really it's like okay, absolutely everybody in this town is totally tense and stressed out and uh they've all got these little stories that we're coming into the middle of, but the one thing they all have in common is everybody's ready to kick everybody, you know, this way that way or the other way. Mm. Yep. Well, the girls in particular, I mean, you can see without Joni's presence there, they're they're falling apart. Like, they don't have Cy to scold them. They don't have Joni to mother them. Yep. So mm-hmm. it just, it stinks in the room. They're on the dope. They're chasing the dragon. They're just, uh... They're not working yep. much. No, they're not working. It's the whole, that whole place is falling apart. And so she goes in to manage it because it's what she does. It's what she knows. Yeah. But then at the end of the day... She hates it. She hates herself. And then later on, we see that she even contemplates killing herself because she doesn't know if she's coming or going, just like the whores don't know if she's coming or going. I feel really bad for her. 
Do you think she goes there every day to contemplate killing herself? I think so. That's what I got was that, you know, this is like a regular thing for her to go there and sit for three hours or four hours and try and get up the courage to kill herself. Yeah, because she, she talked about it um, with the with Shaughnessy. She's like, all I did was sit on the bed. I didn't even unmake it. Right. And she was talking about her previous time there. Right. Mm-hmm. That did, when she put the gun to her head, uh, that did, you know, surprise me. Mm-hmm. I have to admit. I was like, whoa, okay. Because mm-hmm. I was saying to myself, uh, in my notes, I had that, okay, so Joni's place is the school, and she is renting a room during the day as some place to go, and then she put a gun to her head, and I was like, whoa, it's not just some place to go, it's some place to kill herself. Mm-hmm. Well, you had thoughts on the Shaughnessy character, didn't you? He's just exceedingly British. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get to Shaughnessy in just a moment. Let's first go to a a confusing scene where Silas has bought a house. Yeah. But Al wants, this is another scheme of Al, Al wants Saul to own the house. And we'll find out why in a bit, but it's basically because he's trying to legitimize the relationship between Saul and Trixie. But the pretense is going to be that Silas can't make the mortgage payments. So he wants Saul, who's managing the bank, to basically buy the house from him. Because he's like, oh, they're going to foreclose on me. I can't make the mortgage payments. This is very confusing, I have to say. I had here, what is going on with Adams? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What? And then, then once Al said what he said, it was like, oh, okay. But uh, Al is not a direct person, that's for sure. No, it's all very roundabout and, and secretive, how he's operating here. But he, he does voice to his men in this scene that he's, he suspects that Hearst ordered the murder of his own Cornishman. It was a test to see if Seth would act, and it was a statement saying that, I can do whatever I want in this town, I own this, I own your place of business too. Mm-hmm, yep. And it was. And then he gets down on the floor and he starts scrubbing the blood uh, because Al is a guy who will do the work himself. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's reminiscent of season one. Yep. Yes. Yep. And I really like the lighting in this scene. When he's down on the floor, the way that the light is streaming in from the from the doors and creates all these mm-hmm. silhouettes and shadows, it's really effective. Mm-hmm. And I, I love it. He just, he kind of looks up like, why are you staring at me? Go do what I told you. And, <laughs> and, his face acting, I'm a big fan of face acting. His face acting in this scene is so good because we've seen um, in season one that he'll get down and he'll scrub the blood out and he'll take care of things and he'll do the work himself. He is not and afraid all- to get his hands dirty, unlike some other people. And it shows that he's back to where he was yeah. in season one, whereas season two, he was infirmed. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, season two, he couldn't have gotten down on his hands and knees. But now he's he's well enough that he can get down on his hands and knees and scrub again. Yep. <laughs> There's also a moment with Jewel that I find really funny where oh. she like she goes down to get to like start scrubbing it, and he's like, "Get me breakfast." And she's like, "You could have said that before I got down on the floor." <laughs> I love her. I love her sass. I think she uh-huh. is so witty. 
And um, the the chemistry that she has with each of the actors she has scenes with are fantastic. Like anytime she's with Doc and when she's with Trixie and then when she's with, with Al, because she's the only person that can constantly sass him. And, and all he's going to do is bark at her. Mm. He's well, never going to hit can her. Too. Yeah, but he'll hit Trixie, I think. When he's had enough of it, he'll maybe not any, maybe not anymore. Yeah. Well, he definitely has this kind of big brother um, relationship with her. Relationship, yes, with Jewel. Like I have, like he sees her and he wants to protect her, but he still, but he doesn't want to treat her like she needs to be protected. Yeah, it's a nice dynamic. I've often thought that, like, is there an actual familial relationship between him and Jewel? Like they talk about how he he saved her from a whorehouse or something like that. You know, it's like, Oh, he says that it's, it's for if somebody's twisted, but really he's not whoring her out. Um, but like, was she the daughter of somebody he knew? Was she, you know, is there a particular reason or did he just happen on one of his trips to see a, a poor crippled girl and say, yeah, I'll take her too. Like, I don't know. I, I, I feel there's a very strong bond there. Hmm. Maybe I'm just adding stuff. <laughs> I don't know that they necessarily have to have a strong history like that. Right. But I almost feel like Al picks and chooses people to like pull into his fold. Mm-hmm. And um and those people become important to him. Mm-hmm. And uh she's she's one of those people. Dan is one of those people. Mm. Heck even um, Wu's one of those people now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when he saw um, Adams, whatever, Silas, mm-hmm. it, it was interesting. The, he immediately, you know, was like ready to say, okay, show me who you are because, you know, I'm interested in bringing you into work for me. And yeah, you you're know, right. He did. It, it was just like yeah. he, he zeroed in on him and was like, yeah, I like you. And he didn't uh-huh. even know him. Right. It's and whereas he just does not do that with a whole lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you're right. You're right. I mean, in that first season, he turned on some people who worked for him, who he obviously did not care for, and mm-hmm. probably never wanted to have working for him. And it's almost like, okay, I got rid of that one. Never did trust him like him, but ah, here's a better one. <laughs> you know? Did you guys notice that Jewel? Jewel was wearing literal rags, basically. No. Oh. Like her, her, her shirt was completely just in shreds, like in the arms and stuff. It's like basically falling off her body. <laughs> She's basically just wearing a quilt. It's just like pieces of material, like <laughs> yeah. stitched together. Like, <laughs> Al, you gotta buy Jewel some new clothes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Silas goes over to the hardware store and he pretends to be in crisis. If only Saul would take the house back from him. He's just, oh my god. And then outside, he confides to Trixie that Al wants Saul in the house, but he doesn't even know why. She knows why. Yeah. Or she goes and confronts Al and then finds out why. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, the acting. She calls him Miss Bernhard. Yeah. Referring to French actress Sarah Bernhard. Yes. And I, I got a little background on her. She was the daughter of a French courtesan, raised in a convent. She performed on stage for Napoleon III, took her own theater company on an international tour. She appeared in early feature films, Hamlet in 1900 and La Tosca in 1908. 
In 1905, while touring South America, she injured her right knee during a performance. The injury never healed properly, and ten years later, gangrene had set in, and the leg had to be amputated. Ugh. When she returned to stage acting, she wore a prosthetic limb. Wow. And she died in 1923. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, she was amazing. She was amazing. I didn't know about the uh, the gangrene and the prosthetic limb and all that. Ugh. Yeah. I didn't know what caused it, but I'd heard she had a... I'd always heard, like, a wooden leg or something. But uh I thought it was interesting that... Do you think that Saul knew that Adams was acting? Because, I mean, he was overplaying it quite a bit. But, uh... Saul seems perpetually confused to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he does. This is he's true. just, like, bewildered. Like, I don't, like, he's like, I don't know. Like, I just want to have, like, a normal relationship. Like, I just want to work at my store. Like, what is going on? <laughs> Uh, we go over to the boarding house. Joni is scolded by the owner Shaughnessy for leaving her room in disarray. She denies this. She sat in her bed for three hours and had a glass of water. And he says, well, I won't have it. Then I wrote, if you like being lectured to by a snooty English Bible thumper, stay at Shaughnessy's. (laughs) Mel, you wanted to say something about Shaughnessy. You just wanted to mention how British he was. He's very (laughs) British. He's like, he's like... A, like he's almost like a cartoon. He's so British. Yeah, he's way. He's more... just got that like air of like you know like like I don't know. He's just kind of haughty and kind of you know mm. just a bad stereotype. Yeah, he he seems entirely judgmental considering his boarding house is so like put down by like Trixie's like you want me to stay in that flea bag you know you 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 want me to stay there and he's like I won't be having any nonsense in my place of business. You thought he was a library. I thought it was a library at first. I thought it was too. Oh wow. What's going on here? Why is he going on with this book so so much? Like he's in a library? Like I thought I thought he was complaining I thought she was borrowing books and he was complaining about the state of the books being returned to her. Because yeah. she's sitting down re- filling out the register. I thought it had to do with like her learning English or, or learning to read or learning to write or, or adding on to her skills or something or learning a new skill. I really thought he was like a book lender. Yeah, it was kind of confusing. <laughs> hmm. And it's funny that they picked Shaughnessy for a name when, I mean, it's not, he's acting so terribly upper class English, but he's, Shaughnessy is not an English name. No. Yeah. Irish, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah that's what I assume. The Irish. Well, there actually was a Shaughnessy in Deadwood. I'm going to read this. This comes from the book Old Deadwood Days. In the beginning, all was merry and auspicious. Yet the Bella Union, in its three and a half years of life, was the scene of more unbilled gory melodrama than any other half dozen places in turbulent Old Deadwood. Everybody with an ugly blood-and-thunder tragedy in his heart brought it in and spilled it over the sawdust at the Bella Union. At its door, Bummer Dan was killed because the bartender saw only his gaudy borrowed coat and mistook him for Slippery Sam. At the steps leading up to its stage, Shaughnessy of Cheyenne was killed by Dick Brown, who shot him after Shaughnessy's wild-flung axe had just missed his lady love singing sentimental ballads to the banjo accompaniment of the beguiling Brown to whom she had transferred her affections. Eugene Holm of the minstrel show had almost been decapitated by the axe. (laughs) So nothing like the Shaughnessy in this show, but 
But he's gonna die. Spoilers. <laughs> but it's gonna be yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. I always find it really weird when when a show introduces a character that seems like they've always been there. Like this guy seems like he's well established in town. Yeah. And everybody knows him, and he's got a business. And this first we're seeing of him. Yeah, it's weird. Right. He does feel like a caricature or a cartoon. Like it's really over the top. Oh, yeah. I I thought this guy was the the um the Russian at first. Yeah. Same. Well. But then I was like, why is he British all of a sudden? (laughs) There was a commentary for this episode with producer Greg Feinberg and director Mark Tinker. They said, well, he really looks a lot like um, Pasha, I think his name is, who who played um, the Russian. Uh And they said, well, if we had known that he looked so much like that character, we would have done something else with Shaughnessy's look to distinguish him. Because they were afraid, having seen this now, that people would get confused. We did. We did. Well, yeah. until he started talking. Blazanov, that's his name. It's just a moment. Yeah. So, uh, this actor, by the way, uh, was in, I've never seen this show, uh, but I know it's very popular. Uh, he was in Sons of Anarchy. Oh, yeah, I've seen uh, that. He played Sean play? Casey. Mm-hmm. And he also played Krasnas Molnalyaz or something. That <laughs> was slave, my next one, yeah. The slave master from uh, Game of Thrones. Yes. Kirkborn Swath? <laughs> <laughs> well, he seemed very familiar to me, so I had to look him up, but uh, other than Game of Thrones, I guess I don't know him. Uh, we've seen this actor before on the show. Mm. I think that this actor and um, Garrett Dillahunt are the only two who reappear under a completely different character. Mm. But in the case of Dan Hildebrand, who plays Shaughnessy, he was only in one previous episode. He was in the pilot. He played Tim Driscoll. He's the one who owned the gold claim that Brom Garrett bought. So he had the scene in the in the gem oh, where yeah. Evie kept like getting the price of the gold claim to go up and up until Brom paid all of his money, all twenty thousand dollars, to buy it. And then later on, uh, Dan killed Tim uh. in the hotel, and then there was like a blood stain, you know, in the hotel room. So. <laughs> and and that he was very Irish. Tim mm. Tim Driscoll was very Irish, and now he is very English. <laughs> That's really He's funny. Just, he plays his characters to the extreme. Yes. <laughs> to the extreme! <laughs> Al reveals to Trixie that he wants Saul installed in Adams' house, because Saul is a mayor-to-be, and he can't be seen whore-fucking in his place of business. Silas's house is adjacent to Shaughnessy's shitbox, where Trixie will stay, and for $50, Shaughnessy will allow Al to install a passageway that Trixie can use to sneak into Saul's house and fuck Saul. Trixie is irate. Loopy cunt! She runs back to the hardware store and complains to Saul, who is perplexed as usual. (laughs) Verbal diarrhea. So once a whore, always a whore? I think she's a non-practicing whore. (laughs) Like, she's, she's, she's technically a whore and she uh kind of lives at uh at the gym but she's been working and doing accounts and learning how to do accounts at uh at the hardware store and al's been saying it's a good thing because it means he's got tabs on what's going on over there but really al's just letting her be happy that's how i think it Mm -hmm. on paper she's a whore but she's not really like mm-hmm. she's decided she's not doing that anymore. Right. And if any of the other 
horrors decided that Al would like kill them or kick them out or, you know, do horrible things to him. But because it's Trixie, he's like, oh, no, 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 she's still working for me. She's just on another job. Yeah. On paper, she's a whore. So when she does her taxes, she writes yeah. in her occupation, she writes whore. Exactly. <laughs> Oldest profession. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that Elle just wants her to be happy. Yeah. yeah. I really feel like in the, in season one, he was resistant to this relationship. You know, he cast her out. But now he's a, he's just at this point where he might always kind of love her or have like a desire for her, but he's let her go and he just wants her to be happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you think of his plan, though, to have her... In a, um, in the, in Shaughnessy's and then like go through a secret passageway into Saul's house. <laughs> like, it seems a little weird. He, he can't take the easy way to do anything. <laughs> I gonna, think uh, this is a convoluted way of him getting Saul to ask Trixie to marry her. <laughs> marry him. And legitimize the relationship. Yeah. He's like, you know what? These two kids, they're crazy about each other. But he can't live in a hardware store his whole life, you know? He, the boy needs a house. Once he gets a house, he'll realize, hey, you know what a house needs? A house needs a wife. You think he'd be doing that that nice of a thing for them? I don't know. Yeah. He likes Trixie. I think uh, two reasons. One, yes, he likes them both. And then the second reason is Saul is probably going to be mayor because no one can stand EB. And <laughs> he wants a little ownership over Saul. Yep. Well, because, yeah, I agree. I think that forever he'll be the guy that allowed that to happen, that encouraged that to happen. And on the other hand, like we were saying, yeah, she's a whore on paper, and on paper she's doing all of this for Al. But really, how long can that go on before people are like, you realize your whore is like sleeping with this guy in a hardware store and doing whatever she wants? Like, eventually it's going to go on too long and he's going to, and it's going to make him look bad. So if the whore then became the mayor's wife, <laughs> it, it, it'd be a lot better for Al because it would be, you know, she retired. She got married. Also, he definitely has indicated that he wants Saul to be to be mayor, to be whatever. I mean, Saul is not a person that is going to kick up a fuss. Um, he is a an upstanding citizen so he looks makes deadwood look a lot more respectable certainly than eb ever could he's someone that al can actually (laughs) trust really no i'm just kidding (laughs) oh yeah yeah i know i know it's hard to believe but um but he can trot out saul to you know meet the folks from yankton or from wherever and and not be totally embarrassed and wonder what EB is liable to do, you know, what deal he's liable to make under the table or whatever. If Saul even wants to marry Trixie, can you say dramatic? Can you say high strung? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Ellsworth finds Alma on the floor. He doesn't even, he just runs away. (laughs) Yeah. No, he goes to fetch the doctor. Yeah, 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 no, it was great. <laughs> it, it, very emotional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's just uh, I'm used to seeing TV shows where somebody finds someone on the ground and they rush over to them and they're like, oh my god, and they like check for a pulse and all that. They stuff. check their vitals, but like, why he wouldn't have known to do that at right. yeah. that, that time? 
Uh, I mean, he could have checked to see if she was alive, but the fact was that if she was alive, he didn't wasn't going to know what to do for her anyway. So, you know, I thought about that when he ran it back out. I'm like, actually, that's a smart thing. Yeah, in that yeah. time yeah. to do. You You're know. saving saving precious seconds. Yeah, right. It seemed it seemed very real to me, and uh, that the emotion was there. Like again, face acting. Um, but I I wonder. And maybe it's just because we've been uh, uh, getting all those little snippets from Ina of Jim Beaver's experiences while filming this. You know, the fact that he had just recently lost his wife in reality. And now he's playing a scene where it looks like, oh, my God, my wife might be dying and she's pregnant and all of these emotions. It just it was all right there. Um, It's really sad to like, you know, your wife just died and. As an actor, you have to play that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's no, it's good easy for him. But I think I think it informed his performance. Yeah. Now we don't know what happened on their hot springs honeymoon. It's true. And they probably did go to the town in South Dakota called Hot Springs, and not an actual like John Snow hot spring. Uh, <laughs> you know, a sex cave. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but but I wonder if if Ellsworth at still at this point doesn't feel like. Like, like he's still keeping his wife at arm's length. Like they're not intimate. Like if they were more intimate, he might run over to her. Like emotion would just like overwhelm him, and he would run to her. But at this point, it's sort of, sort of like a formal relationship. So that's what allows him to run out of the the building and go get the doctor right away. I I, I think he's just a very practical guy. Okay. Yeah. I think he's, he's, he's been in situations where people have been injured before, remember? Like, he's yeah. seen a lot of death. So yeah. he knows, you know what? Somebody's on the ground. Got to get a doctor. Go. Especially, there's a pregnant woman on the on the ground. I know nothing about dealing with a pregnant woman on the ground who's bleeding. So I've got to get the doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, if it was somebody and they were on the ground and he could see the that their leg had been broken or something... He might know what to do for them in that situation and might run over and, and, you know, just check to see if an artery has been cut or something like that. But I think Ellsworth knows very well that this is beyond his, his knowledge and he's just a really practical guy. She's in trouble. Get the doctor. Mm-hmm. Seth asks Al about the shooting. Al says Hearst likely staged the murderer of these thieves at his place to show that the gem is his dominion as well. Al asks Seth, please refrain from telling Hearst to go fuck himself. (laughs) And Seth doesn't want the body eaten. (laughs) Yeah. Just like, please don't do anything rash. That seems weird that he's, he's aware of bodies being eaten and he seems okay with it. He, he knows where he lives. Yeah. (laughs) He's a pragmatist. Yeah. He, and he's the sheriff. He really should know what's happening to the bodies, even if he doesn't acknowledge them or anything. Yeah. At Shaughnessy's shitbox, Joni puts a pistol to her head. Yeah. And we already talked about how, what headspace she's in. I've got a quote here from Kim Dickens. She says, the amazing thing is that through these three seasons, my character is still an unraveling mystery with one of the deepest questions still answered. Will she ever know love? Maybe from Jane. (laughs) You think? Yeah. That's my hope, at least. Charlie sure did have a thing for her. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, we already know that Joni Joni goes a certain direction. <laughs> I think Joni can be loved, but can Joni accept love properly? You know, um, I think Joni is one of those people that many people will love her, but she has like a wall that prevents her from feeling it. Just like Trixie did. Mm-hmm. Must be something common to the profession and common to abused women in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just don't trust it when it comes. Yeah, you're looking for the catch. Seth heads to the hotel. Hurst wants to know if Alma might pursue opportunities outside of the hills and what Seth might do about that morning's shooting. Well, it depends, Seth says, if anyone complains. <laughs> Hurst wants Seth to bring Alma a message about requiring her claim. Seth becomes very testy and tells Hurst to stay out of our affairs. Hurst replies, I don't care about your affair. And he underlines, affair. My only passion is the color. Dang. What was with Seth's nose thing? Yeah, he oh, kept clapping at his nose every time Alma was mentioned. Mm. What is that? And when did that? Now, did... no, was... every time Alma was mentioned, he would like scrub it, like rub his nose, or like like almost yeah. as if he had like a, a booger in there or something. Yeah. No, I think he's allergic to assholes because <laughs> because later on, uh, he's with um, I think he was with Martha. Yeah. At the end, they're talking about Hurst, and when they say Hurst, he rubs his nose. I don't think it's, I think it's about, um, just Hurst, like he just can't stand Hurst, and when he's around him, he, he's like, physically, it manifests. Maybe, yeah, but maybe that's not- what he does when he has to, like, suppress telling somebody to fuck off. Mm. <laughs> because anytime, like, anytime that, like, the conversation ended up going towards Alma, like when, like, Seth didn't do that before. Yeah. I- think anyways before he started t- like kind of alluding to the affair and then he started rubbing his nose and then when uh when uh what's her face jeez martha was like asking him about it it's almost like it brought the thought to his mind again yeah. maybe maybe it's a like a trick of suppressing anger you know if he squeezes his nose then he's distracted or something like that and like maybe he's yeah yeah he did talk about trying to suppress his anger so Mm-hmm. Some, some some people like dig their nails in their in their palms. That's weird to rub your nose. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't know. It was weird, but I did like how Hearst just kind of gets he gets annoyed by it. He's like, yeah. "Do you need a handkerchief? Like, what's going on, dude?" Yeah, I would do it. You're a grown man. <laughs> but I I really do think it's just like Hearst is so obnoxious. And he just doesn't like him, and he, and it's just manifesting in a way. And it's like I have to like rub my nose because later on he he hears Hearst and he does it again. Like it's like a little tick. It would have been funny mm. if he was actually just picking his nose instead of just rubbing it. Like, that's his <laughs> and then he, and then he what? I don't like it, you. He flicks it at Hearst. <laughs> yes! Pick and flick. <laughs> the, old, the old pick and flick. <laughs> Love it. Uh, it, kind of, it seemed kind of out of character, though, I have to say. I, I mean, the fact that it was so new and it was so, like, I mean... It was not subtle (laughs) at all. Hmm. And Seth has always been sort of contained and, I don't know, seems like if he had a tick, it would be something a little more subtle somehow. I don't know. That was just my reaction. But Here's a quote from Gerald McRaney. I think Hearst acts out of instinct. He reminds me of some wildcatters I met during my youth. I used to work on oil rigs back in the 60s. Most of these people were the nicest people you ever want to meet in your life. A little nuts, perhaps, because they're so focused on this one thing. It's an obsessive behavior. It wasn't about getting rich. It was about finding the oil and digging it up out of the ground. 
The only thing Hearst cares about is the gold. In truth, the man was not even terribly impressed with wealth. It was the color itself, getting the gold out of the ground. Weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's um, you you see that a lot in in different things. It's not about it's not about getting rich because you'll never be rich enough. It's about it's about the chase, you know, uh, whatever it is that you're acquiring. You'll never uh-huh. be rich enough. You'll always want more. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like it's like con men, right? It, they don't. They're never satisfied. They yeah. they need to keep conning, and then yeah. that's when things blow up in their face. Yeah. Yeah. So Seth storms downstairs, and uh, Evie's like, "Hey, how would the meeting go?" <laughs> and he runs. He like he stampedes over toward toward Evie. He grabs him and he pulls him over the bar, uh, like the bar, the countertop, I guess, because he figures that Evie blabbed about his relationship with Alma to Hurst. So Seth just starts wailing on him. Richardson tries to ward him all away with his antlers, but it doesn't <laughs> seem to work. So he runs out and he gets Al. And then Al's boys carry a, carry a bloodied EB out of the hotel. I loved this. <laughs> I rewound this like five or five to ten times. Like I just I love his eyes. Like they just become so wide and angry, and then mm-hmm. he just ooh just barrels over to him, and EB's like, "What's going on?" <laughs> it's great. It's great. Well, I mean, everybody wants to see Farnham get beat, but I'm sorry. For me, the highlight was Richardson running through town with the antler. <laughs> so we got we got three things here. We got Angry Seth, yep. Evie being beaten, and mm-hmm. Richardson running around with antlers. I have a feeling that Mel really enjoyed this scene. Yes, he really, really did. It was so great. <laughs> so great. I was like, and when Seth had talked about controlling his anger, I was like, no! Keep being angry. You haven't been angry enough, and especially be angry at Farnham because he deserves it. <laughs> I also like the aftermath of like Farnham like complaining about his wounds. Yeah. I thought that was kind of hilarious. And um, Eb's question: How have I given offense? It's like how have you not? <laughs> yes. Yes. I really didn't connect at first. Um, I didn't connect him. Beating up E.B. with that E.B. probably told that he thinks E.B. told Hearst about the affair. I just figured, you know, everybody in town knew about the affair. So why, you know, would. But I guess Seth must think that it was a secret or something. I don't know. I guess sometimes you're not always aware of what people say about you. Until I mean, someone tells you, and then you're like, so people have been talking. Who could it be? And then you go to the person that blabs the most about things, which is E.B. Yeah. You know? Well, and E.B. was the one who was, like, needling Seth yeah. every time he went to sleep with Alma. Exactly. True. But at the same time, I mean, there was pieces of ceiling falling down into the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't know that. He didn't know that he was causing the damage in the restaurant. <laughs> well, we get more Richardson screen time. This brings our running total up to 115 seconds. Yay! Wow. Almost two whole minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dr. Cochran has brought Alma laudanum to drink. She refuses. She doesn't want to reawaken that demon. But the doctor says, just trust me. Now, remember, she thought she couldn't bear children, but he informed her that it would be difficult and painful, but not impossible. Yep. So this, the pain. this is the pain. 
and he's saying, please just trust me, like take the laudanum. And then later on, the doctor will tell Ellsworth, you have to make sure that Alma stays in bed and takes the medicine. So would, would laudanum be even be good for a baby? Yeah, like that's I can't what I was see. I think Drugs at are that time, like good baby. I think at that time they didn't know. <laughs> that doesn't excuse it. Laudanum's <laughs> like not good for anyone right now. Yeah. I'm not sure. Oh, well, then I'm putting mine away. <laughs> there's oh. a lot of choice of which medicine. He doesn't actually say there's laudanum, but. One would assume. Yeah, one would assume that it's an opiate of some kind to dull the pain, and she doesn't want to yeah. take any any substance. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, she's could, an addict. Could be giving it to her in a lot, um, a small dose. Yeah, small, milder doses than it, she had been. Taking. And it pro- he probably is, which is why he's saying, "Just trust me." But she doesn't yeah. want it. She doesn't want to take it at all. Yeah, she's terrified of what will happen. On our final. Recording of Deadwood, we're all going to do laudanum. (laughs) How are you going to send that to Canada? (laughs) So, listeners, you have that to look forward to. (laughs) Did did he ever say what's actually wrong with her? Didn't originally, didn't they say something about her having like a small pelvis or something? Yeah, like she's not shaped right down there. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think it's the pelvis usually that causes the problems. I think it's actually the birth canal. She's got a rhombus shaped birth canal. (laughs) I don't know. I just, for some reason, I thought I remembered them saying something about the shape of her pelvis or something. Yeah, I think that your pelvis itself, like, I think it's like the opening at the bottom that if it's too small, like, just nothing can go through there. You can't fire that, that baby out. No. Yeah. What What was the issue? I'm sorry. I, baby, I'm my baby's jammed. <laughs> We're trying to remember. If I'm glad that Matt's not a doctor. <laughs> We're trying to remember if they said what was wrong with Alma to keep her from having children. No, yeah, no. I was trying to remember that too. I don't know why she's um, I did find out that uh, uh, <laughs> laudanum uh, creating complications while pregnant. Uh, is not ruled out. That's the official thing. Um, mm. They don't say specifically yes, but it is not ruled out. And apparently the, there's a diluted form, which has been prescribed to infants whose mothers were using opiates while pregnant as a way of uh, treating withdrawal symptoms and weaning them off. But unfortunately, the abbreviation that they would use for this, uh, sometimes we get misinterpreted by pharmacists and they give them a 25-fold overdose of morphine uh, instead <gasps> of this highly diluted version, and it oh, no. may result in fatalities. Oh, that seems like a mistake you'd make once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It happened again. We gave her too much. Yeah. Again? Oh, I gotta learn to be more careful. Yes. Yeah. You should have been more careful, like, four dead women ago. <laughs> <laughs> This baby's just gonna be, it's gonna come out and be all chill. Instead of crying, it's just gonna be like, hey, it's all good. <laughs> That's not how it works, Matt. It's gonna be high in opiates. <laughs> Matt, yes, yeah. we're all glad you're not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining him, like, look, you know, he's got the ladies in the stirrups and he's down there going, yeah, your, your baby cannon ain't firing. <laughs> Look at this baby. Right, chill, right? Am I right? (laughs) All right. 
Moe's spies on the children at school. I think he he seems like he wants to learn also. Like, he seems, like, genuinely curious, like, what's going on in there? But Jane chases him off. Why does Jane assume that he's a monster? Because he murdered people? He did shoot his brother. Though he did, did then immediately he felt bad about it. Yeah. But... I think Jane is casting him in the role of somebody else in her history. Yes. Oh, oh I was going to say, in, just in her mind. Just yeah. kind of, like... She needs an antagonist, somebody she yeah. can push around because she feels like put upon and like a victim. Well, all I the think time. that's part of it, but I think also she's just like, you know what? There was a creepy guy around me when I was a kid, so no guy should be around kids, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, and that's actually pretty common with abuse survivors that they're instantly suspicious of people just because they might remind them of their abusers. Okay. Which makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, and even when they know that it's not logical. They're like, you know, why do I distrust all fathers? It's not logical, but it's because my dad abused me. You know? mm-hmm. And I think going along, I, that does sound very reasonable with Jane. But she also, just as you guys uh, were saying, it's it's almost like she needs somebody to vent all her suspicion and, and anger on. And, uh, she kind of picks people and, like, I mean, she vented a lot of stuff on Charlie. And Charlie <laughs> definitely never deserved any of it. And she's still mad at Charlie for whatever. She does, yeah. He, she gives him the finger. <laughs> it's like yeah. completely out of the blue. It's like, yeah. she's like, P.S., don't forget, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> she takes, takes all this, this anger and, and frustration and, self-hatred out on other people. Inside the school, Martha is leading the children through some writing exercises of questionable content. <laughs> I like how she tells one of the girls it's not always important to be right or to be first. I don't it's think nice. that's... It's nice. I don't think it's true, but I think it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is important to be right and to be first. Second place is first loser, kids. <laughs> so... Now, now, Matt, I don't want you to be a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm telling kids that all the time. You don't have mm-hmm. to be perfect, and this isn't a race. The fact is that you learn things a lot faster if you're willing to take risks. If you try and be perfect all the time, and if you're afraid of making mistakes, you do not learn as quickly or as thoroughly. I have a bit of trivia for this scene. Okay. Uh, it's a goof. Uh, the children are seen writing... Uh, on small slates, but they're using pencils, not chalk. What? Yeah. yeah. They're using pencils, they're not using chalk, which means that the pencils they can't actually see, and they won't be able to erase them. Yep. Their slates should, they should be using chalk. Wow. <laughs> I actually have another, uh, goof from the same site. Uh, apparently the Cornish men were not speaking Cornish, they were speaking Gaelic. So remember I said it sounds like gibberish? Yeah, that's exactly what Gaelic sounds like. Um, and apparently, according to a lot of linguists, although it is up for debate on another site that I saw, um, Cornish was uh, officially dead at that point. Really? So it wasn't it wasn't um, uh, something people would speak fluently. It's something that they would add into their English. Although, I mean, a dead language is just a language that you're not learning as a first language in a home. 
Right. Well, what what I had been reading was, I mean, there was many talks about how what, there's this whole article on Wikipedia about the last speaker of Cornish. And they were saying, while there were prayers, poems, and songs in Cornish, many people did not speak it fluently and they did not use it. And so there's debate over when did it actually, quote unquote, die out and when did it, uh, you know, and did it ever die out and things of that nature. And there's actually three last speakers of Cornish and it depends if you, which century you want to choose from, but yeah, hence the revival project to bring Cornish back. Yeah. But from what I was reading, it seems like basically Cornish would have been used the same way that Yiddish is used today. You know, nobody really speaks Yiddish throughout an entire conversation, but they pepper Yiddish into their main language. Okay, I have to uh, disagree with your first goof about the pencils and the slates. Okay. Because I'm rewatching the scene right now, and it looks like they're holding the slates, but they're using them kind of like clipboards, like a, just a writing surface in their laps. Okay. But the girl who is most clearly shown has a piece of paper on top of the slate oh. that she's writing the pencil on. So. Oh, there we go. So I think it might be okay. <laughs> so They could have probably, by the way, the Cornish thing. Yeah. They probably could have been speaking in a Cornish accent slash dialect, and nobody would yep. have understood anyway. Yeah, it'd be like, uh, you know, someone from the States hearing somebody from Newfoundland speak and go, are they speaking? What are they speaking? What language is that? So you said Cornish was supposed to be dead at this point? Yeah. So those those Maybe, guys... depending. Those, those guys are the last three speakers of Cornish <laughs> in the world. <laughs> God... You shot, you shot him. He's an endangered species, don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> but from what I've heard, even, I mean, I've heard people making jokes about, you know, trying to understand a Cornishman. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, today. So some of these writing exercises, I, I couldn't find the one that, that uh, Jews burn sacrifices upon an altar of stone. Or Indians are sometimes very cruel. I couldn't find... Actually, I didn't search for the second one, but the f- I did find a lady should not choose a man who chews tobacco. Yep. And that came from the practical speller suitable for high and public schools containing a series of graded lesson, lessons published in 1901. I found the text of that online. That made sense because it was it was to catch a kid with two different spellings of chew. Right, right. And then he bought a current pie for 10 cents current money. If you desert your friends at dinner, you will get no dessert. My dear, did you see the deer in the park? Right. There's a lot of these. She walked with an easy gait through the gate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you say 1901? Is this a book from the future? <laughs> in Deadwood? Oh, that's true. Well, I mean... Martha wrote it in her theater years. <laughs> Oh, yeah, maybe. Yes. It all makes perfect sense. Justify. Justify. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the copy that I found online was copyright 1901. Doesn't mean that there wasn't an earlier version. True. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's the one that had the stuff about the Indians and the Jews. (laughs) I would think a lot of these things were being used throughout, and copyright laws weren't exactly all that strong back then. True, yeah. Uh, open up your your textbooks, stereotypes one hundred and one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about if you well, if I think about some of the like word problems from when I was younger, and I looked at them today, I would be appalled 
And that's just, you know, 38 or so years. And if you think about this is, this is, you know, over a hundred years ago, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy <laughs> how far we've come and what people would think is okay to use for education. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, growing up, that was like the biggest push in education was, all right, these word problems are racist and we need to take care of them. <laughs> hmm. We also have to learn to spell though. So yeah. <laughs> just whatever. You got to learn how to spell hate words too. It's important. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what though? Like, I'm pretty sure she's reading that and like, yeah, absolutely. Jews are burning on altars. Yep. Indians are. It's in the Bible. I looked it up. She does have to pause about the Indians being cruel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a little, that's a sketchy one. Well, I'm surprised it just said that. I mean, honestly, if you read some of the stuff from that period, it would have been a whole lot worse. She did say sometimes. Not all. Yeah. Which, sometimes everyone's maybe that's cruel. What you're pausing at the sometimes. Sometimes you'll get a hug from them. Sometimes they'll kill you. <laughs> and since it goes for everybody, that's not racist, that, right? That statement would that statement would have been considered incredibly liberal at the time. Mm. Yeah, I was looking up the Bible passages in Leviticus about burning things on altars, and found like all the rules for when you put grain on the altar and burn it. And one of the things is if, you, if you're burning bread, you got to make sure there's salt in that bread because God likes, uh, he likes his bread well seasoned. <laughs> Makes sense. But not, but he doesn't like honey. It says, uh, you shall not offer up in smoke any leaven or any honey as an offering by fire to the Lord. He's like a, he's like a homeless person begging for food. Why can't he just make his own food? <laughs> What do you mean homeless people are really picky? No, 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 no. I don't want, yeah. I don't want honey or yeast in my bread. Like, yeah. not allowed. <laughs> I really want that. I really want some food. Oh, is there honey in this? No, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's Diggers fine. can't be choosers, guys. <laughs> <laughs> On the commentary, Greg Feinberg and Mark Tinker, they mentioned color Scott Klein who they say will take a day's worth of footage and balance out the colors so that it becomes a seamless three-minute scene. They call him an electronic artist and wizard, which I really liked. And I think that, yeah, that's something that you don't think about. Like, they're filming this thing throughout the day. Sometimes they film scenes, you know, over multiple days, and yet when it's all said and done, it's just a couple of minutes. they got to balance it so that it looks right, the lighting. And you don't think about that when you're watching this kind of stuff. But, yeah. They call out this guy, and I thought I would mention him, too. Good job, Scott Klein. I should probably mention that I was talking to one of my friends, and she loves Timothy Oliphant, and she was like, I was telling her, you should watch Deadwood. She's like, I tried, but it's just too dark. <laughs> like, the coloring, she thought it was just like, she Couldn't didn't like, it. everything was always at night, and she just didn't like that for some reason. <laughs> Tell her to watch it on our com computer and up the brightness. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 might, I have to do that. I do, I do video editing for my job and uh color color correction is one of the most satisfying things <laughs> it's like magic and you're just like oh it looks so shit before but oh it looks awesome now <laughs> yep. Yep. and just recently color correction and everything came up uh with the whole putting redoing buffy for whatever version they're putting out now mm -hmm. and they color corrected things that had been already color corrected so they took scenes and brightened them up 
So since they're supposed to be at night, they took the color. Yes. Oh yeah. And now they they're bright, sunshiny day, and and she's she's taking vampires. Yep. And and or trying to sleep. Those are people who are bad bad at their jobs. Yep. <laughs> There is, there's bad at color correcting as mad as at being a doctor slash teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Seth considers withdrawing his name for sheriff. He feels that Hearst is going to use Alma against him. Everything is a ploy to get the Garrett Gold claim. Also, Seth is certain Hearst wants the morning's murder covered up. Al asks Seth, please refrain from doing anything drastic. It's all a plot to get the girl. Girl? <laughs> That's what Matt said originally. <laughs> girl! <laughs> When Dan asks Al how he's going to handle Hurst, Al laments he can't simply kill him. Dan's all over killing Hurst. He's just like, like really super eager looking. Yeah, I feel like he's like, like oh, I feel, wasn't there a scene in a previous season where he like offhandedly mentioned killing someone and like Dan was all like gung ho and he maybe even attempted it or something, or he maybe did it. I don't know. I just remember a scene. Yeah, that seems Dan. familiar. And Dan actually did it. Now, was Al setting up, you know, like letting Dan know that it may come to that? That uh, Because it almost seemed like one of those, I want this to happen, but I can't say it sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Though we know it's not because he, you know, he was isn't ready to, to do something like that. He wants the place to be respectable. I know, it was weird. It was like he was giving Dan a under the table kind of thing and then I thought okay maybe he's just setting up the idea that this may happen in the future mm-hmm. I don't know well he de- definitely doesn't want Dan to show any initiative and to do things prematurely no he's got a plan for everything and needs his plans to be followed through to the letter here's a quote from Ian McShane how do you react to somebody like George Hurst when you'd like to kill him in some other show, you'd have him facing off with Hearst, but you can't do that in Deadwood. If anything happens to Hearst, his people would come to town. They'd hang Swearingen, and they'd raise the place. Swearingen knows if the camp doesn't survive, he doesn't survive. Yep. Because Swearingen's wanted outside of Deadwood. Seth confesses to Charlie that he beat E.B. because he thought E.B. told Hearst about him and Alma, but maybe Hearst merely had a hunch, and Seth himself confirmed it. Eh, fuck him anyway, Charlie adds. <laughs> he had it coming, who cares? Now Seth thinks he ought to withdraw from the election because of his temper, but Charlie disagrees. Seth's opponent is Harry Manning, who shot Bummer Dan. Harry is a dimwit. Better to have a short-tempered sheriff than a dimwit. I liked this, uh, I liked Seth being self-aware. Yeah. Yeah. I also liked the way Charlie just slipped in that being short-tempered might not be you know, might be helpful in some cases for a sheriff. When is it? When is it ever helpful? I thought that was dubious. <laughs> um, I think in Seth's case, one of the ways that he's he's sheriffing in Deadwood is the fact that people do know that the guy is not somebody to mess with. Yeah, he's somebody to fear. Yeah, I mean, because you don't know if he's going to kill you or not. <laughs> I mean, he seems like a perfectly nice guy until you you know, cross him or get totally out of line, and then, you know, he can just, you can really end up paying the price, so... I I shoot first and ask questions later, like any good sheriff. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at that point, I think there is a certain amount of, in in that town, not not in a civilized environment. Hmm. 
nothing ever like that good comes out of someone being super angry all the time, though. But oh, true, true. I mean, the only person that got hurt was EB, and as Charlie says, ah. Ah. <laughs> EB. EB has had it coming a long time. He did deserve it. Charlie has a history of managing short-tempered people. Remember, he was Wild Bill <laughs> mm-hmm. Hickok's best friend. Yep. At the number 10, Steve is talking to the dimwit. Steve has been running the livery while Hostetler is away. Steve wants to know if Hostetler comes back, will I be ousted from the livery? He puts this question to Harry Manning as, as Sheriff, what would you do? Harry is noncommittal. <laughs> <laughs> I love Steve saying that bad luck runs, runs in his family. This feels like a callback to when Steve blamed all of his misfortune on black folks needing to be emancipated. Oh my god, Because yeah. remember, if if he hadn't been drafted into the Civil War, his cousin wouldn't have gotten the family confectionery business? Yeah. <laughs> Steve is a person who it's always someone else's fault. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, it's mostly black people's fault. <laughs> Well, because they're at the bottom of the ladder. I think, yeah, I think Steve is so low on the ladder, it's anyone's fault who he can push under him. And yep. most of the time, that's black people. Yeah. Today, that's it's often poor people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but Steve's already poor, so you know he's a prime example of the uh, that they're able to manipulate poor people to you know hate each other based on race and religion and everything else. Yep. Yeah. Correct. If you're poor, and instead of getting mad at those of us in power, we'll pit you against other poor people, and you can blame them for you being poor. Right. And you can also, if we can show you people that are in worse shape than you, then you can feel powerful by, you know, taking out your anger on them. So, Steve, I'm. I have no doubt that if you know, yeah, he'll blame black people, but he'll also blame Chinese, Mexicans, mm-hmm. Indians. Because they're all below him just by the fact that he's white male. So, as, yep. as one of my favorite radio personalities said once, uh, it's easier to look down than up. Uh-huh. Yeah. Martha lets Jane in the school. Martha is very soft-spoken, which Jane mocks. Martha wants Jane to tell the children about her experiences scouting for Custer. Martha is also not annoyed by Moe's. As soon as Seth comes in, Jane bolts. When Martha inquires about the meeting with her, Seth wipes his nose. I think, again, because he's allergic to assholes. (laughs) So we talked about maybe is Jane going deaf or or, or what's the, what is the explanation for this kind of continuing bit about her speak up? Well, Greg Feinberg, I think it's Greg Feinberg because he and Mark Tinker have similar voices, so I couldn't really tell them apart. But someone says in the commentary that the reason why Martha is speaking low is she's trying to draw Jane closer and into the room because otherwise Jane would be afraid to enter the schoolhouse. Ah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. So, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Greg Feinberg who says that because then Mark Tinker's like, oh, is that what that was about? <laughs> but, but Tinker was the... Was Director. The director. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. That's so I just figured that it was partially to show that Jane was just on a different, like, different wavelength from the two. Because the two women that she she said that to were Martha and uh, Joni. And both of them have just 
lost people, and they're both kind of, um, even though Joni's, you know, in prostitution and stuff, she still, you know, knows how to behave herself like, you know, a lady when she wants to, and she has an elegance about her and everything, and she's not loud. Yeah, they're demure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just really like how Martha is making these overtures to to Jane and to Moe's, and I guess she sees, she has a kinship with them, because they're wounded too. So it doesn't matter about status and stuff in this town. (laughs) Even though she made Jane feel bad for being a drunk all the time. Somebody's got to... Kind of like, I'm going to use you as an example. It's a little tough love. It's a little... <laughs> yeah. For your own good. True, true. But, it, yeah, it's a little bit hard to hear, I guess. Well, it is dusk, and Ellsworth is trying to explain Alma's condition to Sophia. They stick their tongues out at each other. <laughs> so cute. I love it. <laughs> In Alma's bedroom, Trixie wants to know if Alma wants to keep the baby. Alma says she does. Very much. And I just love their friendship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's nice when... Uh, geez, I can't think of anybody's name today. <sighs> Trixie. It's nice when Trixie puts her hand on Alma's arm and just kind of rubs it. Like, I was like, oh, friends! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's there's a, a tenderness between the two of them that I think is so helpful. Um, mm. I think that I think either of these characters could be seen as very harsh personalities. Uh, you know, Alma seems very cold and distant and Trixie is brash and, and will, you know, just have verbal diarrhea. But <laughs> there's something about the way that they relate to each other that we see a lot of their tenderness and we can see how very emotional that they are underneath. Mm-hmm. And they've seen each other at their lowest places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love him. E.B. is beaten and bloody in bed. He denies telling Hurst about Seth and Alma. Downstairs, Seth tells Merrick the speeches are off for the night. Merrick wants to know why, but Al just gives him a drink. Gratis. And leaves. Do not attempt to detain him. I enjoyed seeing E.B. bloody. (laughs) It looked like he couldn't even breathe through his nose, because it was full of blood. (laughs) uh, It looked, it kind of, yeah, it kind of looked like... Did the actor laugh here? It looked like he did. When he was like, let me collect myself, he like laughed to himself. And it looked like it was just a genuine moment of the actor laughing at at how ridiculous he was being. It's right at the end of the scene. Does anybody mm-hmm. remember? Um, no. He kind of just like snorted a little bit. Like, <laughs> Yeah, he laughed. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if he was just snorting. I just figured he was snorting of blood because he couldn't breathe. No, no, no. He, like, literally, like, he, he was laughing. He chuckled. He chuckled, yeah. Mm. Well, that's not good. They should have cut that then. <laughs> it was funny. Like, it, it. I thought it fit. Well, he also has was pleased that uh, he wasn't going to have to make a speech in that condition. Oh, that would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> Joni gives money to Shaughnessy. He wants to know the state of the disarray she left in the room. And she says, no disarray, but he nearly had brains on his walls. Ooh. (laughs) I'm sure that's going to make him want to rent to her again. Oh, and uh, they said in the commentary that when she repeats disarray in his accent, that was ad-libbed by Kim Dickens. Oh, nice. Alan Hurst, have a drink. 
Captain Turner supervises. Hearst says the Cornishmen tend to organize for their own financial gain, i.e. they are looking for looking to form unions. Al doesn't care about unions, but he won't tolerate bloodletting on his premises. It's an affront, and unless there is a resolution, he will begin tearing things down. The elections, the agreement with Yankton, annexation, things that will disrupt commerce in the camp. Hearst asks Al if he's dangerous to his interests, and Al says, yeah, dangerous, but not powerful in the long term. Hearst hopes the insult is cured, and Al finishes the bottle, dead. Al leaves the room, and Hearst tells Captain Turner to have his men return to the saloon. And then as Al leaves the hotel, we get our episode title. When he tells Richardson to tell your god to ready for blood. Uh, fucking fucking pagan. I want to see this dear god. Richardson with the antler is so awesome. And I have something to share. Okay. Uh, it is. Hang on. I have to get it up. Sorry. I'm, I fine. should have saved it. But there's a t-shirt you can get. Oh, yes. A Richardson shirt. <laughs> and, yes. And it's uh, it's the antler. And then it says, pray for Richardson. <laughs> That's funny. It's awesome. And this brings our uh, total Richardson count up to 125 seconds. Okay, so this meeting between the two Titans, um, I really find that Gerald McCraney is the equal of Ian McShane. I find mm-hmm. them just, like, their scenes are just electric. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think he's so good in this role. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm you know, everyone thinks Gerald McCraney, you think of Major Dad and things like that, but um this shows that he's he's quite a powerful actor and this role is just so good. And uh yeah, I'm I'm so happy with this casting. He uh he and the interesting thing is I like the way they have two different styles of power. Mm-hmm. Um Hurst's is so quiet and threatening and confident and you know, coming from a place of, I am powerful, you know, and just this confidence of whenever I walk into a room, I'm the most powerful one in the room. I mm-hmm. am a powerful person in this town. And then you've got Al, who is playing that like he always does with powerful people, where, where he's putting himself down and acting as though, you know, oh, you know, I'm just a little fish here. And I would never, you know, um, mm-hmm. and yet, you know, damn good and well that it's all manipulation, you know? Yeah, he says he's dangerous, but he's not powerful. Mm-hmm. He'd not have himself called powerful in your company or the captain's. And he indicates, and he uses the word, he can make things inconvenient. Yes, and he'll tear things down, which is like, I'm a child. Like, I'll do childish things. Like, I'm just telling you. Like, I'll start acting like a kid. Like, <laughs> But there's like no ego. You know what I mean? Right. There is no ego. It's like... It's pre- it's pretense. It's... It's part of the manipulation. It's like Al is so aware of his own power and other and other people's power and his ability... And what his, his ability is, his ability to manipulate things and all, and how to manipulate the other person that, you know, it's never coming from ego, which is really interesting. Because he's got a lot less ego than, uh... Psy. Oh, well then, yeah. 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 <laughs> I certainly. Psy is all ego. But, well, uh, it's a kind of, it's a kind of acting. As I said, it's, it's pretense. He's, he is powerful, and he is dangerous, and he is smarter than, er, like, everybody in the, t- in the camp. Right. But he pretends not to be, because 
he's you know he's playing up everyone else's ego like you're the powerful one you're the you yeah. know you have nothing well, to fear from me i'm just a kid and i act and i act like and i throw tantrums and then he says this is word for word uh once placated i'm meek as a babe yes yeah. so he's he's basically he's not saying i'm i want to be in a power struggle with you he's saying give me respect and we're you know and i'm i won't be a problem to you mm-hmm. and he but doesn't care about the unions. He doesn't care about the Cornishmen. Just don't, don't do this in in my saloon. All right? right. And then he drinks the bottle. He finishes it, and he puts it down, and he leaves. And then Hurst immediately says to the captain, "You know, maybe the, those guys who argued with the Cornish, maybe they'd care to pay another visit to the saloon." Right. So it's like it doesn't matter. Like this whole this whole conversation, it's like Hurst doesn't care, and that's how awful he is. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, I- to know that too, which I thought was really interesting. I mean, he, I, in my notes, I have, you know, did Al is Al declaring war on Hearst, and sure did seem like it. Even right. though he was giving Hearst an out, it's like he knew that Hearst wasn't going to take it mm-hmm. because he leaves right when he leaves. He tells Richardson, "Tell your God everybody for blood." Like he's like, "Yeah, well that didn't work," and he knew that it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Matt and Mel, what did you guys think of? This uh, interaction between Al and George Hurst. Uh, it's interesting. I like. I lo- Sorry, I'm wiping my nose. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> nice. Uh, You're yeah. allergic to assholes too. Oh damn it! Um, yeah, I like Hurst more than Cy, but I still like the good old days when it was just Al as the big bad businessman versus Seth. And now they're kind of friends. I don't know. Well, I like, like that they're that. friends. Partners. I. I, I I They're like uneasy it. allies. I would yes, say. I don't yeah. like. I don't. I don't like all this like uh, scheming, like like overcomplicated scheming. I'm like, why can't everyone just get along? But they can't. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I don't know. I'm just like it leaves why me. Can't con- they... It leaves me confused all the time because they're always trying to outsmart each other. But then it gets to the point where the plot line, the plot line is so confusing that I just don't know what's going on anymore. Why can't they just fight in more straight, straightforward ways? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> like like Seth grabbing a guy and yeah, and punching him. I love that. That's straightforward. I like that. Uh, yeah. Maybe this is just my admittance of my stupidity. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's the point of this podcast, though, is to explain it. So when people who watch the episode are like, well, I'm not really sure what happened. It's like, well, you listen to Hooplecast, you Hoopleheads, and then you'll learn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then in, you know, 10 years from you and you guys watch the show again for the second time, you'll know everything. Like, no, everything, everything will everything. be, everything will be clear. No, I think you will. I think things will be more apparent. On a rewatch, I definitely think that that's why this is a good show to rewatch. Because um, I'll probably rewatch it. Mel will forget everything. She'll be like, "Oh, Keith Carradine! I can't wait to see him for three seasons." <laughs> uh, I do like. No, I am totally like that. I when I watch a show, I instantly forget about it. And then Matt's always like, "Hey, remember this scene that in the show that we watched yesterday?" No. Nope. <laughs> I. uh Put the laudanum I, away, like, <laughs> it's rotting your brain. No, I like my laudanum. <laughs> <laughs> I really think my son will like this show a lot, and uh, a couple times I've kind of forgotten for a moment and started to say, oh, we should watch Deadwood together, and then stop him, like, no, you don't want to watch Deadwood with your mother. <laughs> yeah, you probably don't. No, I'd no. watch Deadwood with my mom, but I'm a little weird, and I'm older. <laughs> Maybe I, when he's I, in his twenties, I could watch Deadwood with my mom if my mom would 
could get past the language, you know, back before she started having problems. But, um, but my son with his mother, no, he's, he's just turned 20 and, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. I think I said this before, but I made the mistake of watching Magnolia with my mother and it's like, oh, I forgot about the whole, like, tame the pussy thing that Tom Cruise says. Yeah. And he says it like a hundred times, like, tame the pussy or something. And I'm like, oh, I forgot about this. <laughs> My son would be so embarrassed by all of this. I watched Boogie Nights with my mom and my brother. So, like I said, I'm weird. Um, (laughs) But I grew up watching stuff with, like, language violence and sexual content with my parents. Because Mm -hmm. my parents were like, we don't mind if you watch the stuff if you watch it with us. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So, it was kind of one of those things, like, we would watch movies together and then we would all talk about it. And sometimes you're like, you know what? I really don't want to have to talk about this movie, so I don't want to watch it. But <laughs> a lot for me, uh, that just seemed normal. And so, like, I can talk about a lot of this stuff with my mom. And every now and then she'll, like, make jokes. She's like, I'm so glad I fostered an open relationship with all of my children. Sometimes I'm a little bit upset because they share too much with me. <laughs> They're yeah. too open and they're too okay with talking about sex and things with me. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just quickly went through the transcript and I think only Al says fuck. Hurst doesn't say fuck, I guess, because he's uh, more refined. But Al says fuck like nine times during a span of like two minutes. And yet I don't hear it because I'm so busy trying to understand what they're actually saying. And parse the language for like the clues of of meaning that yeah. I don't even hear the profanity. Like I know it's there, but I don't hear it. The they, profanity, I, the profanity was something that was difficult. Like when I tried to watch this show back when my son was little and my mom was living with me, it was like, okay, my mom is going to get upset by the profanity, right? Just because, and my son, I didn't want to hear him using that language when he was seven. Yeah, you're more aware and alert yeah. of those things when you have to, like, yeah. when you feel disapproval from other people or you're trying to protect somebody from something. Yeah. When you're just I mean, watching and trying to understand it, it's, right. it's kind of like white noise. You don't even pick up on it. Yeah. And now the language would be no big deal for my son. It would mm-hmm. be more the the constant references and, you know, nude, nudity, you know, et cetera, with his mom sit- while they're talking about, you know, having sex with nude people sitting around. Um, yeah. And, you know, and so that that would he would find that embarrassing. Can, can you watch Game of Thrones with him? I would say that would be a no. <laughs> no, no. I, I can tell you guys, I can tell you guys that I watched um, Eyes Wide Shut with my dad and it was the most awkward two hours of my life. <laughs> You know what, though? Eyes Wide Shut is an awkward movie anyway. I couldn't get through it. I had to turn it off. I watched it with my sister, and we looked at each other and said, this is crap. But the thing is, because it was with my dad, we didn't even want to look at each other. So we had to keep watching because we didn't even want to acknowledge the fact that it was really awkward. So we were just, we kept watching. (laughs) The worst. It was so awful. That's why I really feel like there needs to be a rating, like how they have sex, nudity, violence. Like, Like... on a scale of like one to ten, like how awkward is this going to be to watch with my parents? Yeah, that's the number yeah. I want. Yeah, because like a little flash of breasts or whatever, like that gets nudity. Okay, but if it's a, if it's a lot, if there's like gestures and things like sexual, like 
it's like sex the whole time. Like, yeah, or, yeah, or just like lewd yeah. things where it's like you don't even see it, but it's like apparent what's happening. Like I like p- please rate that for me so I know what right. I can watch and not watch. Yeah. And like there's like these websites where it's can you watch? Is this appropriate for your kids? Mm-hmm. And and they they go through it like. Yeah. This is how many times this word was used. This yeah. is when you saw this happen. And and I want the reverse. I want it. Is this safe to watch with my parents? Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. even websites that that are that are like uh, a warning for emetophobes, which is people who are afraid of vomit. <laughs> so they should. Oh. Is this is this is this movie okay for somebody who is a metaphobe? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, what you guys were saying about the swearing, the like throwing fucking in there every once in a while and stuff like they do it more purposefully than people do in like nowadays in real life when they're oh, just oh yeah they yeah. It, fuck, fuck, instead fuck. of yeah instead <laughs> of the word um or uh they just they just use the word fucking like i went to the fucking uh, store and i got some fucking uh, jack daniels you know yeah. uh, matt you didn't tell me you're living on an army base no. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how they talk? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes fuck, yeah. Fuck, fucking, oh, I hate it. <laughs> well, it next time sound- you next time they say that, uh, you should think about how um, on the Guild Wars Two message board, every prof- profane word is changed to kitten. So <laughs> I just I went to the uh, the kitten store and I bought some uh, kitten milk. <laughs> I I feel that um, that sort of swearing is a developmental stage. Um, that everyone goes through. I mean, I know I went through it at one point, and I I don't swear much at all. But there was a point where I was definitely throwing it around because I was at that stage. And you get to this mm-hmm. point where it's like I can swear, I can swear, and right. then you swear for everything, and you right. you use it in like normal conversation. And now that I'm older and I'm looking at like these younger people, and they do it, I just feel like putting my hand on their shoulder and saying, you know don't have to swear for that i mean i'm not upset about swearing it's just mm-hmm. it makes you sound stupid you sound yeah, so yeah. stupid yeah and and i know for me like i would not have wanted to hear that so i try not to say that because i know like it, it's like well who are you to tell me how to act you know my, my dad hit for him swearing you know, that's 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 low class language and now i look back at that i'm like Ew, my dad was trying to like instill classism in me. Go away. Um, but, but it's like, that was the thing. It's no class language. And all well, it does make you sound stupid. And you can't think of true. another word. Yeah. It, it, it's I, like, I know you're a more intelligent person and you have more to say and I would like to hear it. But when all I hear is the swear words, it makes it, it becomes a, a language barrier. Yeah. I used to, when I was teaching high school, um, we had a lot of that and I, I just, like just expand your vocabulary. You're redundant. Say so, you know. In my in my previous job, I dealt with um, truck drivers who were mostly like in their twenties, and they would say they're saying fucking all the time, and they, and they'll say it around each other, and it, it's almost like they feel like they have to because if they don't, right. then they look they don't look hip enough, young enough, cool right. enough. Uh, so it's like a it but it's a male fun. thing, and th- and then when they're away from their their partners. And other drivers, they sound fine. But yep. when you get them all together, they sound like, like uh-huh. act more grown up. You sound but like yeah, when you tell, you can't, unprofessional. You can't yeah. tell somebody to to expand their vocabulary. You can't even use the word vocabulary because that's why, like the, this kind of anti intellectual intellectualism and shaming of people who 
who, you know, are smart, I guess, or who don't yeah. want to act like that is why they, they use this language so often. And if you refuse to do the same thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. but, but in a, in a classroom situation where if they use that word, they really expect the teacher to go crazy and set, and have put them in detention and send them to the office and, you know, they can be suspended for three days. Mm-hmm. If the teacher just kind of laughs at them and says, hey, you know, I use expand your vocabulary, rephrase that so that the uh, well, use another word. Let me hear something. Else. Listen up, you fucking cocksuckers! Such a goddamn and, mouth. And usually, the kid would just look at me, and they didn't even realize they'd said it, and it was yeah. like, "Oh, I'm sorry." And then they, you know, say something else, and it just became like a thing of, you know, I don't want to hear it because it's redundant and it it sounds, you know, ridiculous, and and you know, just use expand your vocabulary. It does sound kind of lowbrow. It's, Come and, and I feel like the, say. I feel, and I feel like guys in particular, when they're around each other, are like, hey, look how, look how working class and blue collar we are. Fuck, 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 fuck. Well, right. I, you know, when you're around people that swear more, you definitely do swear more. I know, like my oh, husband, yes. he doesn't really swear that much in life, but if he's around work people, suddenly there's F-bombs and he's like, oh, okay. And now granted to him, um, English swears don't count because he, he, French is his first language. You know, English swears, no big deal. French swears, that's a big deal. You don't say that in front of me. Oh, your <laughs> husband's first language is French? Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Uh, he's, uh, he's, his family is uh, from Quebec, and he learned, his better language is English, but he didn't learn English until the third grade, so his first language is French. And so to an him... Hmm? Does he have an accent? Not at all. Uh, he doesn't have an English accent in French and he doesn't have a French accent in English because he learned at just the right time. His sister, though, has a very Ontario accent. So her French has a, a, a very English Ontario accent, even though she's very fluent with French. It's funny. <laughs> well, and we've talked about before, there's just a phenomenon, a tendency for people to adapt the language and accents of the people that they're around so that yep. they can kind of ingratiate themselves and find common ground and form alliances and friendships. Yeah. And that's why when people go to England, they, they come back and they have like an English accent or yeah. the, people, like people made fun of Hillary Clinton when she went down South and she started saying like y'all and stuff like that's just natural. That's Dude, how people it happens. Talk. Especially like, like there are a couple of, lived, I mean, she lived in Arkansas for a while, even though yeah. she was from Illinois, she lived in Arkansas for a while. So yeah, there's, it's just what you do. Like, yeah, it's there's, just natural. There's a couple of Canadian words I say very Canadian, and everybody at home laughs at me, and I'm like, shut up, I still call it soda, it's not pop, but leave me alone. <laughs> you can't say Nova Scotia without an accent. <laughs> hey, here's something, just um, getting back to Al Swearingen. Um when we were talking about it before, about uh, about him kind of downplaying himself um, to, you know, to seem less than the other guy and let the other guy feel important and stuff. This Pete Hine Grook keeps occurring to me, and it just says, uh, you'll probably find that it suits your book to be a bit cleverer than you look. Observe that the easiest method by far is to look a bit stupider than you are. And that's always, think of that with Al, that mm-hmm. just seemed like what he's doing whenever he's mm-hmm. with a power player. Also, yeah. a lady should not choose a man who chews tobacco. It robs his pocket, sews his clothes, and makes a chimney of his nose. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I have okay. Here's a little, we've talked about George Hurst's background before, but I just want to run through this paragraph real quick. Hearst saw his first sample of Black Hills gold while in Salt Lake City in 1875, a year after Custer's expedition. He soon traveled to Deadwood and paid $70,000 to buy the claim of brothers Moses and Fred Manuel, which became the Homestake Mine. It turned out that the brothers had already sold one-fifteenth of the claim to another man in exchange for $90 worth of groceries. Hearst bought him out for a considerable but undisclosed sum and over the next year managed to buy up 250 neighboring claims, occasionally meeting resistance. By 1889, the Homestake Mine led the production of gold ore in the United States. Uh, some more fun facts. The real, now this comes from David Milchin's stories of the Black Hills, and I couldn't find any substantiation for this, but it was amusing anyway. The real Hearst wife and child were evicted from the rooming house where they lived at a time when Hearst was worth over $50 million. It never occurred to him to use any of his money to pay the rent for his wife and child. He was up in the mountains looking for more gold. Mrs. Hurst rather dreaded new unnecessary ventures. Her big stalwart husband was forever setting out for far mountains and desert lands with valises full of clothing and coming back with valises full of rocks and quartz, samples of his newest mines. That last bit came from a book called George Hurst, California Pioneer. Uh-huh. In the Bullock household, Charlie and Saul are practicing their speeches silently. Saul is debating whether or not he might take Silas's very pleasant house. Though Saul never thought of himself as a homeowner. That seems kind of strange to me. Al delivers a message. The speeches are postponed. None of these guys are public speakers. No. <laughs> I kind of feel bad for them. They're like, ugh, I don't want to do this. I was trying to remember, where did where was Saul originally from? He was from Hungary, right? Vienna, Austria. Austria. It's wonderful where people are from. I was very surprised to see Al at the home of the, the Bullocks. <laughs> He just seems so out of place there, and I was—I kind of wanted him to come in and have dinner with him. Homeownership. Oh, and he's Jewish. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. in Europe, Jews were restricted from owning things. Yeah. Oh, so do you think that maybe that's why Saul just figured? Yeah, that he, he might, would be like transient, like. Yeah, he. It might have been just so ingrained in him that he never really thought about settling down. Owning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there were all kinds of restrictions on what. Jews were allowed to own in Europe, um, and often if they were allowed to own something, it was taken away from them fairly soon afterwards. Hmm. Um, and then he he went. Let's see. So he was from Vienna, Austria, and then he went someplace in the United States, right? Do we know where? I'm trying to remember. Chillicothe, Ohio. Okay. Okay. Huh. So yeah, that might be one reason he never really thought about home ownership and stuff. Yeah, I'm thinking, especially at that time, uh, home ownership and 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 owning of property. It really does make you a different class of citizen because at that point, I believe it was still at that point, you needed to own property to vote. Yeah, and so home ownership would would be so much more of a a status symbol and and something that. You know, someone might never feel that they could belong to that sort of class or club. Well, this was the 1870s, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So by then there was, there, yeah, no, there was, uh, if you were male and over 18, or 21, I mean, over 21, and a citizen, you could vote. Oh, okay. At this point, because after the Civil War, there was a whole revision where, where, um, there was an amendment to the Constitution to make sure 
uh, black men could vote, even if they had right. been slaves. So, but, the, but that would still be a fairly recent thing, right? Yeah, I mean, it it would have been within their relatives' memory. Um, you figure the country is only a hundred years old, less than a hundred years old at this point. So it would have been within their grandparents' memory, if if not their sure. parents' memory, that they it had to be homeowners. I mean, uh, landowners to vote. I wonder if he just never thought of himself as a homeowner in this place. Like, he didn't think that Deadwood would, would be the place where oh, he would buy a home and have a relationship and get married and be a mayor. Like, he yep. just expected he'd open the hardware business. He'd make a little money when they were, and then once the town dried up in that respect, he'd move on. Like, maybe he just didn't. Yeah, that's a good point. So I don't know. But the gentlemen are very happy that they don't have to give their speeches tonight. <laughs> Jane tells Joni about her conversation with Martha. She might tell the children about when she scouted for Custer. Jane wants to know if Joni is returning to the Bella Union to live and work there. Jane asks, who's going to look after you? I really like this. I like the two of them. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I I don't understand why their closeness that they had last season seems to be gone and why Jane's sleeping outside. Uh, I think because she's drunk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, like, obviously it's a self-imposed thing, but yeah. it's just like, what what happened between then and now that all of that progression of their relationship seems to be uh have have died out a little bit. Is it the fact that Joni's taking care of Sai and Jane's having a problem with that? It's also probably because Jane's pissing herself all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> and and I think that Jane is sober when she's useful. Like she's gotta be useful. So taking care of Moe's that brought them together. Like protecting yeah. Protecting Joni from Wolcott. Like, that was, like, a thing she could do. And now it's sort of like, now Joni's kind of doing her own thing with Sai, and Jane is like, well, I have nothing to do, so I'll just drink. And then that's going to drive them apart even more. Yeah, but, and you brought up an interesting thing. You were saying how she was doing security there for a while, and now Mose is doing security, which could be another yeah. reason she's so down on Mose. Because mm. he took her job away from her. And, uh... And I definitely agree that there was a, uh, that Jane has a problem with Joni, um, taking care of Sai and, and, you know, going back and the possibility that she could go back to, uh, her old life, um, at the Bella whatever. The Bella whatever. <laughs> which, which had sawdust on the floor, apparently. It's not the fancy Chicago style gambling house that it's made out to be in the show. Al tells Seth that Hearst is looking to run the camp like a despot, which is out of proportion to what Hearst claims is his purpose. And and then we see, like, while they're talking, Hearst meeting with the murderous hoopleheads from earlier. Hearst has an impulse to control everything, and Al suspects trouble. He tells Seth, stay within hailing distance. Yeah. Stay with the, within the distance of my shouting <laughs> capacity. <laughs> uh, again, I like that uh, they're allies at the beginning beginning of the previous season they were fighting in the thoroughfare uh, al could have killed seth had he not been unmanned by that little pipsqueak <laughs> well your predictions <laughs> do you remember that from way back when i remember we predicted something but i have no idea what we predicted okay uh let's see here carol predicted that sigh is out for andy's blood hurst and alma are going to end up in a confrontation over her mind Alma and Ellsworth are going to consummate their marriage. And then, and then Carol, you said, in for a penny, in for a pound. 
<laughs> uh, which made me laugh to no end. Um, well, I we don't know what Elman Ellsworth yeah. did on their hot springs honeymoon, but um, nothing else there quite happened. No Andy, no scene between her and Elma. I really expected, like, there really wasn't a whole lot that happened in this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, it was all just kind of put, telling you where they all stand right now and getting ready for later in the season. So. Yeah, set up, set up, set up. Yep, I would say that stuff is going to happen. But. Matt predicted a showdown between Deadwood and the natives. That was a boring prediction and wrong. <laughs> Mel predicted Deadwood citizens bring a bloodthirsty vampire god his blood cocktail on a serving tray. Cy and Andy start a revival tent for their vampire god and all are required to give blood. <laughs> Mel's <laughs> predictions are the best. <laughs> um... You know, in a sense, it's the truest prediction because of uh, Richardson's paganism. Aww. You get the point, Mel. Yes. How is that close to vampires? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, like, the god. But yeah, yeah, the vampire, vampire god, get, pagan god. Yeah. An antler point. He's a vampire deer god. Yeah, aww. There are deer with, like, pointy fangs, you know. That is a thing. Yeah, it's true. Did so Mel for, get an antler point, then? Okay, we uh, we asked for a miscellaneous prediction, total seconds of screen time, and I asked uh, Mel to pick a character, and she said Richardson. So total seconds of screen time for Richardson, let's see here, Carol predicted 15 seconds. Matt said 20 seconds, Mel said 60 seconds. He was on screen for a total of 125 seconds, over two minutes, so Mel comes the closest, so she gets the Richardson antler point. Yay, you won the Richardson Challenge. Oh, <laughs> as I should. <laughs> and you did before, too, when we did the individual words spoken by Richardson. You guessed that one correctly as well. Because only I know she's, Richardson. <laughs> she's got her finger on the pulse of Richardson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't want to have my finger on Richardson. It's <laughs> gross. As much as I love Richardson, I don't think I'd want to touch him. <laughs> as much as I love him, gross. <laughs> Okay, let's do feedback. Well, we have Nutty's feedback. <laughs> Before she uh, took this episode, so what does she say here? Does she say anything we haven't covered? Um, no, kind of long. I think I liked Martha in this episode more than I've ever liked her before. That's true. I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Nice to, nice to see you agree with yourself. Alice pushing Saul to have a house, and hopefully Saul will wise up and marry Trixie. Trixie could take that. I ship the heck out of those two, and it looks like Alice is shipping them also. Yep. yep. Trixie's being a great friend. Alma is being too scared of her addiction to take the meds. Just so many little things. Seth doesn't even know the baby's in danger yet. Oh, you normally that's don't like true. pregnancy stories, but uh, you like this one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's true. Like, Seth doesn't even know anything that's going on, and, like, he knows it's his kid. So when he finds out, I think there'll be some drama. Seth beating up Farnham is great. I think this scene was a bit of fan service. <laughs> It shows how Farnham is on the major outs with everyone. He's lost all of his allies. Plus, Richardson running through town with the antler. I love that so much. Okay. Good. Thank you for the feedback, Nutty. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) I've got some feedback here from Harold. Hey, Harold. Let's make Matt read this one. As far as season openers go, this was solid. We got caught up with our characters and set up some story arcs for the season to come. The character who dominated this episode was Hurst. 
who wants to take, co-opt, buy out, or destroy anyone who has anything worth having in this town, or who could pose a potential threat to his interests. In the first category, I would put Alma's claim in her bank, and in the second category are any potential office holders, especially the sheriff, plus Swearingen, who is the man behind the scenes, and the union organizers. I don't really see Bullock as the type of sheriff who will cover up Hearst and his Pinkerton unions, and his Pinkerton's union-busting crimes. How long can it be until Hearst brings in a Pinkerton to run for sheriff? Has Harold seen this before? I don't remember. Uh, I think, he, yes, he has. Um, do we think that Pinkertons are coming to town again? Who? Oh, yeah, it was the fake teacher. Mm-hmm. Was, uh, Pinkerton, wasn't she? She was hired by the Pinkertons. All right. Um, I think we'll see some at some point. Maybe not running for sheriff, but I think we'll see some at some point, because they're always talking about them. Uh, I don't know if it was the booze, confidence, or just plain anger over Hearst metaphorically pissing all over his bar, but I think Al was not wise to make threats against a man who can bring in as many Pinkertons as he needs to gain control over the town. Speaking of which, this is no longer a camp. The streets are now lined with buildings and homes, and there are enough children to fill up a one-room school. This may be a case of rewatchitis, but I feel like this is not the first time that I've seen a scene where Bullock beat Farnham instead of the person he really wanted to throttle. Also, it seemed a little odd to me that Al would be so concerned about Starr's reputation before the election that he would go so far as to arrange for him to get a house with a secret passageway, uh, <coughs> passageway for Trixie. I give this 7 out of 10 piss puddles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a year, basically a year after we started. We July 1876 is when season one began, and this is June or July 1877, and it does already feel like a real town. They're a whole damn town. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a whole damn town. (laughs) (laughs) Any other thoughts on Harold's feedback? No, but thank you, Harold. Thank you, Harold. Just don't know if he's giving us foilers or spoilers. Spoilers? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Fake spoilers. But Pinkerton's running for sheriff. See Hurst using Pinkertons, but he's got his own, you know, people too. Uh, let me uh, play some audio feedback. It's an international flavor this time. Ooh. Delicious. <laughs> All right, first feedback is from Hasso. Hi guys, this is Hasso. It's great to be getting back into it for another season. And this is my feedback for series three, episode one. Tell your God to ready for blood. The main standout for me in this episode was uh, the new mannerism from Seth, where he was rubbing his nose. What was that? Was it the smell in Hurst's room, or perhaps um, was it some newly developed sensation of disgust uh, that is indicative of an imminent beating? I thought it was funny later on how Martha asks him how things went at Hurst, and he instinctively rubs his nose again. So I thought that thought was quite quite funny. Um, if you haven't, if you haven't discussed it already, uh, I thought, um, the demise and return of Joni, um, I was wondering what thoughts anyone had on what brought her back from the brink. EB, what a poor bastard he is. Um, he's sure copped it due to his track record, which really didn't help him. Um, I thought it was hilarious the way he was making adjustments to his speech when he was in bed recovering from his injuries after getting bashed by Seth, but also felt, felt sorry for the guy. Um, he's got his money. And he just seems to enjoy speculating about people's affairs with his offsider Richardson to pass the time. Uh, how good is Charlie Utter's pick-me-up uh, for Seth? And uh, I think that scene just 
I kind of, when I saw that scene, I thought, oh, yeah, there'd be a good Aussie Bogan version of that. And it'd be something along, along the lines of, mate, a bloody sheriff who gets a bit aggro now and then, it's heaps better than a fucking idiot, eh? And it was good how, you know, Seth has that little smile afterward and kind of feels a bit better and goes on his way. I'm certainly feeling anxious over Alma's situation, obviously keeping Ellsworth on, on edge. And poor Sophia seems, um, to have to endure one crisis after the other. And, uh, finally, Al and Hearst, they really seem to be muscling over the, um, the control of the camp. And it was a real imposing move by Hearst to arrange to have a, a murder committed at, um, Al's saloon. Um, and I, I think this really is a bit of a, a sign of, um, of this arm wrestle that, that's, that's begun. And that's, I think that's going to last some time. Um, yep. So overall, excellent episode. Great way to kick off the season. Uh, really enjoyed it. And um, I'll give it eight aggro sheriffs. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah, we talked about the the nose rubbing and how it might be a like a facial tick, like a, like whatever Hearst has mentioned is just yes, his anger has to manifest itself in some way. So, what do you guys think? Stop, Joni, from pulling the trigger. Then that was one of his questions. Um, it's just hard to kill yourself. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, didn't she say something in season two, something about her being too much, uh, and uh, it's sticking in my head, I'm too much of a fucking coward to kill myself? Mm-hmm. I think she might have. So maybe she's somebody with suicide ideations, but just isn't quite there at the, at the point of action. Mm-hmm. That it's a constant thought, but she's not fully suicidal. Also, I think, you know, one of the notes I had made was that she's very torn. Um, between wanting to take care, feeling this responsibility to take care of the women at, uh, at the Bella, Bella Union, right? Bella Union. Yeah. And even take care of Sai. And I think kind of hating herself for feeling like she wants to take care of Sai. Maybe even hating herself for wanting to take care of, you know, the women there. And, and not really having any other probably also not having any other profession that she knew knows how to do. Mm. But, you know, I, yeah, I think it comes down to it's really hard to kill yourself. And I think she's, she's got a lot of conflict in her and, and to actually pull that trigger, I think she's got to be beyond conflict. And I think that Joni and Jane, and the reason why that they've become friends is because they have so much in common. They both have to feel useful. They both have to do something. And when, when Joni feels useless, she contemplates suicide, and when Jane feels useless, she just drinks. Yeah. Which oh. is self-injurious behavior. Yeah. It's just a slower death, yeah. All right, I now have feedback from Russell, since he couldn't join us for this episode, because Nutty threw us all into a panic. <laughs> Blame Shane and giving me the wrong dates when I sent in my, uh, my, my uh, request. All right, Shane, because you're probably not listening to this podcast, it's all your fault. (laughs) It's It's all all your your fault, fault, Shane. Shane. And and to uh, make up for that, you have to come and visit me and spend a week with me. (laughs) A punishment indeed. Yes. (laughs) Hello, guys. This is Russell. Uh, I was going to be joining you as a guest, but you've got the lovely Nutty instead. So, um, but I thought I would send in some feedback for you so yeah episode one of season three very exciting um love this episode and i love how al uh just goes around 
quoting things and plans and his thoughts. And meanwhile, the others look on kind of perplexed as to what on earth is he talking about. And I also love that he's not afraid to get his hands dirty, get down and scrub that blood off the floor mm-hmm. and um, shows, you know, he's he's a role model as well as a, um, a coach, a life coach. So that's good. Um, are we all rejoicing at Farnham's beating? I did feel yes. a bit sorry for yes, him just a little bit, but I loved Richardson still clutching his antler and running around. Um, yeah, and I, I loved there was a great shot of um, Al as he came out um, from his chatting with Farnham, and it was a real close up and gets you thinking, what does he see, or is he just glad that the the gem is back to its normal frivolity? I don't know, but um. He did uh, give gratis a gratis drink to uh, to the newspaper man, um, and I thought it was funny. One the episode, I don't know which one it was, but it did say the newspaper it had had written in chalk outside the office, "free gratis" for um, <laughs> copies of the newspaper, which I thought was funny. Um, anyway, yeah, Shaughnessy is a weird character. I uh, don't know why they brought him along in season three, but um interesting to see where that goes. And I love this scene with Al and uh, Hurst. There's two powerhouses of acting going at it. And what a great final insult, drinking from the bottle. That was brilliant, Al. And did we know that Al was called Albert? Did we know <laughs> that? What a long way uh, Bullock and Al have come uh, from season two premiere where they were fighting each other. And uh Jesus, Joseph and Mary, here they are, within hollering distance. So keep up the good work, guys. See you soon. Mm. What other name could he have besides Albert or Alan? Alfred. Alfred Alexander. Or just Al. Alistair. Oh yeah, I guess. Oh, yeah, Alucard. Alucard swears <laughs> in. <laughs> it comes back to the vampire thing. That I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I did notice that Albert. I was um I did think oh was that the first time we knew that I had noticed that as well that he used his full name. It's I think it's the first time. Yeah, I think he was doing it like uh presentable for Martha. Yes, it was probably. And has he ever introduced himself before? I think he had. Yeah, I guess he has. He always. He always goes to, he always gets one of his minions to summon Seth to him. This is the first time he's ever gone to, to Seth. <laughs> yeah. Um, go of. Yeah. Didn't he go there once before for some reason? Well, maybe. Do you think we're going to see Shaughnessy again or was he a one off? He seems to be like, see him again. Yeah, he seems to be introduced or whatever. Yeah. yeah, because if, if he wants, I mean, Joni is staying there. Al wants, um, C to stay there. That seems to be setting something up, you know. I, I'm fine with him if he just kind of pops in and out, but he he was very cartoonish. Yeah, yeah. And we already have EB, so yeah, that's true. Yeah, is EB gonna die <laughs> and be replaced by Shaughnessy? I hope not. Oh, I no, like I the actor who plays EB. Yes. Yeah, I wouldn't. Think so. I don't. I don't want to lose EB. Like, you got to have somebody to root against. Now that we like Al and Dan and. Silas and the rest. I would think the only reason to get rid of EB is if the actor got another job that he really, really wanted. We've got some more written feedback. I'm going to have Mel read this one. This comes from Carla. Okay. Hello, guys. This is the first time I'm sending feedback, and I just want to thank you for taking your time to discuss this brilliant TV show. 
To me, the beginning of season three presents much more humor than there was before, like with Jane's and Moses' interaction, and it strikes to me as if they were trying to lighten the atmosphere, because Hurst's presence there casts a shadow over the camp, and even those who aren't directly into their power struggle, like us, the audience, can feel it. I want to point how gorgeous Alma's and Joni's dresses are. It's nice that the costume designer is the same who worked in Mad Men, which is another perfect show. Ah, didn't know that. That's very interesting. Yep. Yeah. Um, another awesome aspect of Deadwood is the writing. We can realize how powerful it is when we have several great quotes for an episode. (laughs) These are some of my favorites. Uh, Here she goes, stealing some quotes there. (laughs) (laughs) If she steals your quote, you don't have to say it. Whatever, I'll read it anyways. Alright. Every day it takes figuring out all over again. Wait, I'm going to do that over again because i got to do it like Jane. <laughs> Every day thinks figuring out all over again how to fucking live. <laughs> you that was the great. <laughs> I just like, I don't know. You ate the center of the universe, in other, other words. Exactly. Don't that lead you to despair? <laughs> uh, this is from, that's from Alan Hurst. Um, I love how the writers can make us understand characters so far away from us in time, space, and situation because they display the same emotions we do. Humans are all the same. We want attention, respect, love, and of course money. And when we don't get it, everyone has a different way of dealing with it. Like Joni sitting in hotel in a hotel room with a gun pointed to her head, or Jane drowning in liquor. The racism always makes me sick to my stomach. From the textbook Martha was reading in class, to Steve's disgusting comments, we can see how it's everywhere and polluting kids' mind from the start. It's absolutely horrifying. This episode is great, especially for Seth trying to control his rage in front of Hurst and then beating up E.B. when he gets a reasonable excuse for it. (laughs) Quote, unquote, reasonable. (laughs) That's it. Thank you, Carla. Thanks, Carla. Thank you, Carla. Yeah, as uh, Charlie would say, uh, who cares? (laughs) It's just E.B. I, I I like the uh, the bit about how the racism is, is very jarring and makes her sick to her stomach. Oh yeah, and I think that's kind of the point. I think I think David Milch is using racism the same way he uses swearing. He wants you to react. He wants to make a point with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it I mean it's showing it's it starts in insidious ways, like just how things are phrased. And it's in a book. Mm-hmm. And if it's in a book, it must be true. Yeah. Well, and it's it's that's how kids are learning to spell. So. As you're teaching them to spell, you're teaching them what to think of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Indians are sometimes very cruel. Yeah. Other <laughs> times they're just like uh, sort of cruel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is which is why uh, you know racism in standardized tests and word problems and and things like that. You know, I remember people saying, "Oh, it's no big deal. It's it's just about the math." And it's like, yeah, but it influences how people think. Yeah. So right. it normalizes it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's 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 really very um very interesting to me. Yeah, it's ingenious in its grossness. Yeah. All right, I have a last bit of feedback comes from our good friend Will. Well, hello, cocksuckers, <laughs> motherfuckers, my feelings, my feelings. dick sniffers, <laughs> and titty lickers. I think I got everybody. Oh. Uh, yeah. So hey, it's good to be back watching Deadwood again. I haven't. Caught up on the podcast and I'm one episode behind, but I'll be caught up soon. It was really weird watching this episode because the past few days have been 
You know, I watched a few episodes of House of Cards, then I watched Deadwood, then I watched some more House of Cards, and I watched Deadwood, so it's weird seeing Alma and Joni on two different shows. Um, Trixie, this episode, uh, I just can't with Trixie. What the fuck? Um, I did enjoy seeing Seth talk to Hurst and barely be able to contain himself and then just take it all out on EB. I love seeing EB get up, get beat up for some reason. A lot of the episode, just all these machinations, yeah, that conversation with Al and Hurst where they're just kind of saying stuff without really saying it. That was interesting. So yeah, I enjoyed the episode. Good to have Deadwood back in my life. After a few months, um, this episode was a little bit like an afternoon delight that you have before you go and record your own podcast, the down below podcast.com. Um, and I will talk to you guys later. Loopy cunts. Bye. <laughs> I love Will so much. <laughs> now I wonder which one of us is the titty licker. <laughs> That's you, Mel. I mean, come oh. on. Oh. <laughs> She's it. so excited by, you know, anytime we talk, there was talk of the titty liquor, it's gotta be Mel. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go through the, the thing where we decide uh, who's what. <laughs> so we'll end with hurt feelings. But Will, you had plenty of time to catch up on the episodes. We took uh, enough time off. I love how, Matt, I love, yeah, how you decide, I love how you decided that we not go through... Uh, who's who after deciding that I'm the titty licker. <laughs> okay, but I, he didn't decide that. I mean, come on. <laughs> he didn't deny it, though. Well, I, I volunteer to be the loopy cunt. <laughs> Did he mention panty sniffer in there? <laughs> oh, the panty sniffer. <laughs> Mother, it's the ocean. <laughs> I love the panty sniffer so much. <laughs> But Will's feedback on this show, by the way, it always gives me such a delight because if you listen to his other podcasts, especially down below, because probably because of some of his guests, but also because it was a show that was on, you know, a uh, regular network. So there isn't swearing in it. He, you don't hear him swear. You don't hear him go off into these crazy things. And then he sends in feedback for Deadwood and it's like, whoa, Will. <laughs> he always cracks me up. Yeah, it's great. What's funny is that they had these crazy names in, in reality. Not, you know, not just like Titty Licker, Penny Sniffer, but there was Slippery Sam, Bummer Dan, Bedrock Tom, Cold Deck Johnny. It's like h- hilarious. They're like cartoon characters. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for the feedback, Carla, Harold, Hasso, Nutty, Russell, and Will. Yay, thanks. All right, let's rate this. Nutty, as our guest, you may go first. I really like this. I think it's a good season opener. I think it's better than some of the others. It's not my favorite episode, and there's nothing that is really fist punch worthy, except for maybe you know Seth beating up uh, EB, but that's a little mm-hmm. punish. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give this an eight out of ten crazing antlers. Okay, <laughs> Seth beating up EB was very fist punch. <laughs> All right, Matt, you go next. Um, I liked it. Um. It was a little bit confusing still, but it seemed more easy to follow than season two stuff. So I'll give it a 8.5 out of 10 um, textbooks full of be- uh, bad ideas. <laughs> uh, Mel? Well, I love I love watching EB get beat up. I love me some, some angry Seth. Uh, 
I still found the episode confusing. Uh, like Matt said. Uh, I don't know. It's just like they always do this. Like this, the season premiere. It's like they throw you into this. Like it's almost like a, you're watching a new show again, and it's a little bit confusing. So I don't like that so much. But yeah, whatever. Guess I won't hold it too much against them. So I'm gonna give it a seven out of ten. Man toed figures. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and when she says that line and she does this like with her hands like and walks like <laughs> s- like skitters like it's like the best. Yes. <laughs> um Carol, your rating please. Um I wasn't that thrilled about the episode. I I liked it, but I felt like it was such an introduction that I kind of wanted a 2-hour episode and to actually get into some of the stuff that they were setting up. Um I enjoyed what they were setting up. I I think I'm going to go with, uh, let's see, seven and a half out of ten whorehouses turned into schoolhouses. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Is that where they were? No, I they weren't there. Weren't because they in Joni's place? I don't think so. I think so. they were right next door. Because they next door? where were Joni and Jane t- having their conversations? I don't know. I, I got the, I was like. No, it, it must have been because, yeah, it must have been because Joni- Mose was. Outside of the the Shazami, and then he looked in the window, right? And yeah, he disappear before school started, right? And Joni was leaving before school started, mm-hmm. and then she had yeah. to hire a a room while school was going on, and came back after school. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is the same building. I'm yeah. sorry. No, I I it took me a while, but I'm pretty sure it's the same building. There's something else you said that I wanted to respond to. Who, me? Yeah, you. Little me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what that could have been. I don't I don't know. <laughs> Why are you like a southern belle all of a sudden? <laughs> I don't I do declare I do not know what I said. Uh, that is weird. Um Yeah. This does this is a very much an introductory episode. Oh now I know what, what you were gonna say that I was gonna respond to. You were saying that you felt like this was so much of an introduction you wish that it was a two-hour episode i was going to say that although matt's birthday shenanigans puts pressure on me to quickly edit this and get the next one ready and then for us to record next sunday at least we have this feels like like the next one coming so soon after this one may is more like a part two so that's kind of nice that we don't have to wait two weeks this is true this is true so we'll benefit there uh, yeah, uh, not my favorite episode. I don't like this premiere as much as the last one, because the last one had Seth and, and Al going over a balcony. <laughs> I did like Seth coming down the stairs and assaulting EB was great, of course, and I love everything with Jane and Joni and Moe's. I found the Silas house stuff to be a little too confusing, and Shaughnessy too ridiculous. Mm, I will say that season three is my favorite season of the show. But this is just, it's just like a tease. Yeah. The good stuff's coming. It's, there's a lot of good, good explosive stuff coming. And I just can't wait for that. So in comparison, I have to give this one a seven, a seven out of ten secret passageways that lead to whore fucking. Let's do our character of the episode, Nutty. Oh, right. Character of the episode. Um, I'm actually going to give it to Martha, even though she wasn't in it very much, because I think it was like the first time I liked her. And I think that I may not nominate her again. So, okay. (laughs) 
I, I'm not sure I'll continue to like her, so I'll give her this opportunity. Okay. I've always liked her. She was my character of the episode, uh, the first episode she was in the thing, because it just seemed like she's a decent person, making the best of bad situations. Mel, who is your character of the episode? I know who it should be. Richardson? No. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to say. You'd say who it, who it is, and then I will disagree with you who your character should be. I like Ellsworth this episode a lot. Oh. Uh, uh, who should it be? Now I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say. I don't want to taint it. You can come well, back to you if but, you want. No, I'm going to pick Ellsworth because, okay. I, I don't know, I just think he's, uh, he's a nice husband. I like it. Okay. Who did you think she'd pick? Yeah. I thought she'd pick Angry Seth. I thought she'd pick Seth simply because he he beat up uh, Farnham. Yeah. That was pretty great. But I don't know. Right. I like I, watching him. That's okay. I put it's Daniel's okay. worth. It's okay. Your choice is okay. It's uh, it's fine. Uh, Matt. <laughs> it's just all right. Medi- mediocre. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, man. Whatever. I'm going to go with Seth. Because <laughs> I liked him being self-aware in this episode. I like I like watching him walk away from things. <laughs> don't you? I like him trying to ignore people in uh, Martha. You you like his ass, is what you're saying? No! I I hate to see you go, but I love to watch you walk away. Well, I mean, he's not a bad-looking guy, but I mean... (laughs) But I mean, no, he's just always walking really straight. And he's really Mm -hmm. straight as he walks away. It's just always really interesting to watch him walk away. Terminator-like precision. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Carol? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, My first thought was Martha, actually. Um, Just before Nutty said it. Um... I'm trying to go through all the characters, and I kind of, I kind of want to go with Al. Um, even though it wasn't anything that Al hasn't done before, but just the way he's moving all the pieces around on the chessboard and stuff, and and trying to be in charge while this huge presence is, who's so much more powerful than he is, is in charge, and yet Al is like the undercurrent that's just like under the surface of this power, just moving things around to, you know, in ways that I don't think this guy has any clue. Then I'll go with Al. Okay. And for me, it's the character who had the most quotable lines. Uh, I love Jane, this episode. <laughs> she was hilarious. And uh, the middle finger that she gives to Charlie, it's just so unexpected and great. Um, yeah. And, she, and of course, she wants to help Joni, too. So it's not like she was just there for comedy relief. She she had a purpose in that she's she wants to help another wounded soul. So I don't think I've nominated her for any previous episodes. So I feel, I feel good about my choice. I'm going to say Calamity Jane. I didn't choose Jane simply because I think I choose her every time I'm on. Jane's my favorite um, no matter if, if, like, as long as she's in the episode, she's my favorite. Right. You, you picked... Her twice, and you pick Charlie once, and Alma once. No, Trixie once. I was going to say, I never picked Alma. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. That's just crazy talk. I love Alma. <laughs> I think she's my favorite character in the whole show. I don't I don't dislike her. I just, she never does anything where I'm like, yeah. Hmm. We've had some moments in some of the episodes that I, I have definitely, you know, she, uh, when when she started feeling, you know, like coming into her own, mm-hmm. definitely like, all right, Alma, go for it. Yeah. Oh. And right now she's kind of in a bad situation. Yeah. 
I have a hard time, for me, it's the opposite. I have a hard time ever liking Jane as much as people love, like, people love Jane, and I have a hard time loving her. I agree, she never does much. Well, she's just always drunk, and I can't really, for me, I can't really identify, I guess, with alcoholism. (laughs) I don't know. That's funny, since you're always drinking laudanum during our podcast. (laughs) That's different, Matt. That's that's Mel on laudanum? Yeah. 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 Imagine if she didn't take it. Like the rest of the time. I'd just be all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I agree, though. Jane seems to be like a one-trick pony, where she's just drunk and cantankerous the whole time, and she never changes, and I don't see yeah. the big deal. That's- I can see that, and that's why I, I've only picked her like once before, but I feel like she just has such a good heart. She does, and I and can see that, but... She projects a lot. I, yeah. I'm, I like Jane a lot more last season than I do did in this episode, only because... Mm-hmm. Kind of what you're saying that she, you know, when she was dealing with um, the the illness outbreak and the smallpox outbreak and the and Alma and this and that and you know Joni and all and and she was switching gears so much, you know, she was really interesting. This episode, she was just as you say, really cantankerous and really just drunk, and she's been kind of just drunk for a while. Yeah. yeah, I can see that. I'd like to kind of shake her and say, you know, hey. But from history, we know that she never changes, and she's just going to be like this till she dies. So, yeah. right? <laughs> didn't she? Didn't she uh, go off and didn't she do another stint in one of the Wild West shows and stuff? I, I don't remember. It's hard to pinpoint one because uh, Clara Emily Jane's history is mostly based on things that she said, and every time she said them. Things changed. Her autobiography is believed to be pretty false and <laughs> full of many lies that she created herself. Um, and the other part is that, you know, like she left for a time from Deadwood and then she came back. So it, it's, it was pretty short in the show, but it makes me wonder, was that the big gap between her leaving Deadwood and coming back in between? Uh, because I think when she comes back, is when she dies in Deadwood or near Deadwood or whatever. She dies shortly after then. But I don't know if that was supposed to be that giant gap in her actual life or if there'll be another gap. It's really hard to say. Yeah. We were pretty spread thin on this episode. There was no real character that stood out except for maybe Al. Yeah. But I think I've decided Al Swearingen is Deadwood. Like, Oh, yeah. I think we could do without any of the characters for an episode except for Al. Yeah. Although I I don't know if it's Al that's just so great or Ian McShane is just Oh, it's totally Ian McShane. Like, I don't think the character would be nearly as compelling if it wasn't Ian McShane. But I do do think that the combination of the two is like magic, Mm -hmm. and when he's on screen, it's just phenomenal. Even if you can't follow what he's saying, you know that it's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um... Let's do uh, quotes, Nutty. Guest right, say you Yay. get to go first. Uh, so I've got my favorite quote already. <clears throat> Custer was a cunt. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Mel? She's looking. I'll go first. Uh, we may both be pelted with refuse. <laughs> okay. Carol? Just... Picked a simple one because it kind of sets up what I assume is going to be the season. It's Dan. 
Dixon towards a bloody outcome, boss. Mm-hmm. Mel? He come at me with his foreign gibberish! Uh, wow, like the grammar in this is great. <laughs> speaking of foreign Jewish thing, there was a there was a quote from I think it was Ellsworth that I didn't expect to come from him. He said that, that the, those guys can't speak right, as in English yeah. is the way to speak right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also the quote from Dean where she says, "I, I find myself for swearing amongst the young." <laughs> yeah. That was a really good one. Here's a quote from Trixie to Silas. Why not quirk up and go on stage with that tragic fucking minstrel turn? <laughs> then I like well, later when she says to, and this is when she's on her rant. She says to Saul, and as you lay in your Betty by, I'll pop from the wall like Grandma Grandhog in a storybook and attend to your Johnson. <laughs> I love the follow-up to that. It's like, Swearingen has? Who the fuck was I just talking to? Oh, no, you said you'd just gone to piss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Saul. <He's> so <laughs> innocent. <laughs> I like this like, little exchange between uh, Richardson and E.B. You herded me. Shh! Wash and stack, shit monkey, or ready yourself for worse. <laughs> <laughs> shit monkey. You herded me. Aww. <laughs> or, where, or when uh, Farnham's getting beat up, it's like, you know, how have I made offense? And just gets pummeled and he's like, turns to Richardson. He's like, call the law. And I'm like, dude, you're getting beat up by the sheriff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Evie is in his bed uh, and Al is with him. And Al says, I will profane your fucking remains, Evie. Not my remains, Al. <laughs> Gabriel's trumpet will produce you from the ass of a pig. I'm just looking at my notes here, and I forgot to mention when Ellsworth was talking to Sophia how awful her pajamas were. <laughs> they were really bad. <laughs> um, this is between Dan and Al. Dan says, hell of a beating for E.B. to take if he's innocent. And Al says, oh, he's still way ahead of the game. <laughs> Any other quotes? Always so many, but you can't do them all. I can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I gotta do one more Jane one. Where she says, she no more needs a watchman than she does a fucking balloonist. And why should the young of this camp have to scurry past your man-toed figure to receive an education? (laughs) Oh, right. Well, in one week's time, we will return with episode 26. I am not the fine man you take me for. Oh, who's the fine man we're talking about? Well, you'll have to predict that. It's going to be... um... What's that new character's name? It's EB because he's always thinking he's like super fine. He's always dressing up in like all his frills and stuff. <laughs> but then he like actually like because he got beat up. You know, it's kind of like uh, what Nutty was saying about um, uh, Sai kind of being taken down a peg because he got beat up. Well, now that <laughs> EB got beat up, he's being taken down a peg and he's admitting that he's not as fine as he thought he was. Oh. <laughs> oh no, I feel bad for him. No, I don't. <laughs> What's that new character's name? Shaughnessy? Yeah, it's going to be Shaughnessy. He's not actually that like prim and proper Englishman. He's going to take off his man suit and he's going to be revealed to be a troll. <laughs> <laughs> he's like a troll living in a seedy motel. <laughs> <laughs> and he, like, what, talks with a strong Cockney accent? Yeah. yeah. Oi! <laughs> 
<laughs> you lawing around here staying in my hotel. Shaughnessy, what happened to your accent? <laughs> Why is your skin green? <laughs> um, Carol? Oh, I feel silly giving you an actual serious uh, <laughs> Someone ought to. Someone yeah. has to. Alright, I'm gonna go with Saul. Um, Ooh. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Saul. Uh, talking to Trixie. Oh, and okay. I guess Saul uh, running for mayor. Like, Saul's not yeah. this fancy man, but I, I kind of like your thing because it's like, homeowner? I'm not a fancy man who owns a home. <laughs> also, the whole, you know, what she may think of him as far as because we're talking, you know, the possibility of him thinking about getting married to her or, you know, whatever. And, and we're all kind of spinning these ideas. And he may look at it as, you know, that he's not, you know, the fine man she thinks he is. And maybe, you know, he's not worthy of her in his own head. Mm-hmm. I couldn't think of anybody else in there other than, like, Seth, who might be thought of by someone as a fine man and recognize that they're thought of as a fine man, but they don't think of themselves that way. Because hers could be thought of as a fine man, but he would say, yeah, I am. Uh, and Al wouldn't, and Cy wouldn't, and, you know. Ooh, I have it. <laughs> you know how okay. Eric had a ambulators club? Well, now they're going to have, like, a like rebelling against, like, fine gentleman club. <laughs> the, they're going to the be, like, the shabby gentleman's club. The ungentleman club? The rowdy randies. Yeah. That's what I want them to be called. Yeah. yeah they're gonna just, they're just going to, like, try to make everybody's clothes look real shabby. They're going to invent, they're going to invent punk, punk music. No. They're just going to, they're just going to, why is it? Punk music. Does that have to do with anything? <laughs> is there an anti-establishment kind of thing? I guess it's the punk of the uh, 1800s. But Maybe uh, the, the first Sex Pistols. <laughs> I think. Yeah. I think at Deadwood, those are all just called bars. <laughs> yeah, club. Those particular guys. So, for a miscellaneous prediction, anyone have a suggestion? Might get beat up next episode. <laughs> I don't know how many punches are thrown. Yeah. How many punches are thrown? Yeah. Hmm. I pity you, Matt, having to count all that. I I don't know. There would be a lot of punches thrown in this next one. I don't remember exactly what happens. Or what about how many terrible outfits are there? Although I guess that's kind of... That's subjective. (laughs) Yeah. I want to say two punches. I'm going to say six. It could be zero. (laughs) It could be. Um, Although, it looks like Hearst is going to be sending people... To Al, but that could just be shooting. Why don't we make it not just punches thrown, but also slaps or anytime somebody hits somebody in the face? Sure. How, how many assaults? Six. Assaults to the face. Okay. Six assaults. Okay, so if somebody body punches, somebody else doesn't count. Bo- body punches? <laughs> What's a body punch? Well, you said face. You punch to the body. Oh, okay, yes. I thought oh, you meant, okay. like, punch someone with your entire body. That's what I thought, too. Like, like, well, um, like E-Honda from Street Fighter. Oh, like, well, technically, if you're throwing a punch, a better way to punch is to throw with your whole body. You you actually throw the punch from your hips. Yeah, but it's uh, a body slam. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, How many people get up on onto the, the counter of the gem and throw their entire body out at somebody? Oh, my God. How many wrestling moves are going to happen? <laughs> 
We'll say assaults to the face uh, via hand or instrument. Okay, so so a punch to the stomach or anything doesn't count. Yes, it's gotta be at the face. Okay. What about spitting in the face? What a punch with a with saliva? Is that <laughs> no, we'll just say with a hand or hand or instrument. Well, spit is an instrument. <laughs> oh lord. <laughs> but an instrument is being in your hand. If if you were to spit in your hand and then flick it, or, or pick your nose and flick it, uh, maybe that would that would count. We can debate that if that if that happens. We'll, we can okay. debate whether that counts or not. I, that's my prediction. I predict that someone's going to spit in their hand and throw it at someone. <laughs> Carol, give us your your number. I'm going to say zero. Zero. Okay. I think everybody's going to get shot. Ooh. <laughs> No, I, don't, I have no idea. Okay. Hey, Nutty, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Love having you here. Thanks for having me. Do you have any uh, projects you want to promote? Um, I am actually in the middle of daily, uh, my Lent daily creativity, which means that every single day I'm creating a piece of art. Those in the uh, Hooplecast Facebook group would already have seen my Deadwood art that I made. Yes. I drew a couple of my favorite characters. And, um, yeah, so you can find that where you can find my podcast and Nutty Bites, which I debate geeky topics and all the other podcasts that I'm on by going to nimlas.org and I am las.org. And, uh, yeah. And I just launched a Patreon for my, uh, podcast and part of the introductory offers. You can actually get the original pieces of art that I'm making. Oh, wow. Cool. I have another podcast. Yeah. Another one. <laughs> well, good for you. Um, I mean, in addition to this one, and Matt is wrong about games, and then the one I'm going to do with Will called Spartacast about the Star Series Spartacus. Uh, I was asked to be the fourth co-host of Clone Dance Party. Oh, which nice! Is an, which is an Orphan Black podcast, and uh, because I really enjoy all the ladies on that podcast, uh, and they asked me, I said yes. I was very flattered, and so I said yes, absolutely. I will do that for the ten episodes that. We will cover, we're covering season four, which starts uh, next month, April, sometime. All right. So I'll be doing that. That's great. Um, Matt and Mel, how about you? You guys still doing Defenders? Yep. Jessica Jones is done with. Yep. But Daredevil starts soon, right? Season two. Next week. Uh, On the 18th? Sure. Is that when they, is that when they they dump all their episodes? It's Uh, usually a Friday, right? I don't know. It's next week. I don't keep track. I'm not the one to That's keep track. <laughs> <laughs> We're only newbies. We're not experts like Claire. You don't even know when the show is on. How do you know when to watch it? <laughs> Barely. Uh, I don't know. I just, I know it's, I have to watch it for Sunday. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I did the work for you. It's Friday, March 18th. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and Carol, I assume by now you've finished McKinley cast. Uh, no. <laughs> no, we haven't. No. Um, just just one, recorded an episode or two. Yeah, Rich. Um, Rich had some uh, problems with um, his mouth. Something ha- something happened. He had uh, some oral surgery or something. I don't remember offhand. And uh, it was post. So we're waiting for him to heal up, and we're trying to get done before Hooplecast finishes season three. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> it's a race. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We have like yeah. episodes to go. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was I was thinking about McKinley cast recently, and I was like, "Does this are, have they gone long enough where it counts as a pod fade?" 
No. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh... We actually do record almost, like, at this point, it's like one every six months or something. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Well, that's so a it's schedule. On a re- it's, on yeah. a, it's on a schedule. It's on a regular basis. Not that's a, in quotation marks, air quotes, schedule. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yes, we, uh, we are still planning on finishing. I, uh, <laughs> I try not to nag. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As always, you can find us on our website, hooplecast.com. That's where you'll find archived episodes, the show notes, links to discussion threads. Those links will take you to our Facebook group. You can go into Facebook and search for Hooplecast. You'll find us there. We have a lot of content there. Uh, often I post articles and things that I, we, I just don't have time to cover in the podcast. I mean, the podcast already goes long enough and I, I, like I, sometimes I feel like I'm barely scratching the surface of what we could talk, we could talk about. So I will post some stuff on the on the group. So really, go on the Facebook group and and hang out with with the other Hoopleheads. That's fun. Send feedback to Hooplecast at gmail dot com. Go on Twitter and follow Hooplecast. I retweet a lot of Deadwood related things, and uh, I will announce certain things about the podcast there. And go into iTunes and leave a five-star review. Since the last time I asked uh, a couple months ago to please make it your Christmas gift to us and leave a review on iTunes, zero people have done that. So Aww. They don't like us. And if that's the case, if they don't like us, uh, why are you listening? <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, I, thanks for not leaving a negative review, I guess. There you go. Like all those negative reviews on the Twin Peaks podcast just because we didn't like David all of David Lynch's movies. <laughs> we like uh, some. <laughs> most of his movies are terrible. <laughs> I feel pretty confident saying that, having not seen any of them. You're gonna. Just, it just seems like they would be. Matt, you just earned yourself a terrible review. Someone's <laughs> gonna come out. <laughs> That's and fine. I I feel Matt, like that was David. All of us. What? That was matches now. Not all of us. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That's fine. I feel like sometimes, well, okay, David Lynch fans, yeah, they're they're kind of wackadoodle. <laughs> um, they take themselves very seriously because uh, it's all art. It's all art, and everything is very serious. But uh, David Lynch's art, he's a he's a genius, a misunderstood genius. And I feel like there are some Deadwood fans who are also have their heads up their asses. And think that the show is just like super serious, like all the time, and like it's we have to talk about it like with such earnestness. When I think it is most of the time a comedy. Yeah. Like it's as funny as it is serious. Yeah. So how if you cannot like laugh along with the show, then I think like you've missed the boat. Like yes, it's great language and it's. It's it's fascinating interpretation of history, but it's also really funny. Crass. So I wish and crass. So I don't I don't know why certain people are just uh, I don't know they get really defensive. I think I, I guess feel when something like means a lot to someone, like on a personal level. I think that's when that happens. Like they they really like get emotionally attached to it. And if you say something bad about it, it's almost like you're insulting them. That's when they that's when the one star iTunes reviews come out. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I can understand that though. Like I can understand someone getting emotionally attached to a show, you know. You feel like it's a member of your family. <laughs> fuck those people. <laughs> yeah, fuck them. Let's give them all a big fuck you and uh, we can close this thing out. Sure. Okay. Fuck right. you. 
Fuck you. Fuck all y'all. Parp, parp. Laugh a little. Yeah. Whoop, google, boop, boop. <laughs> oh, the cliffs and the tin mines of Cornwall will haunt me. The grey of the granite, the lure of the sea, the bobbing and the weaving of a fisherman's tosher and the flash of the long ships way out in the sea. And though I go away, I never stay or call any other place home. For the place I love best is that spot in the west. Cornwall forever my home For the way people speak As you wander through Cornwall And the accent is different Wherever you roam I can tell where you come from In which part of the duchy Cause each little village Has a sound of its own from Penzance to Red Roof, from Lou to Port Levin, there's Liscard and Lanson, Camborne and Praise, Newquay, Tintagel, Port Isaac, Pendogget, St. Just, and Sancreed, Penryn and Carhaze. And though I go away, I never stay or I'll call any other place home for the place I love best is that spot in the west Cornwall forever my home There's Dobwells, Cockwells, Heligwig and Gwydion, Churchtown, Chapeltown, Caharrick, Mullion, Playing Place, Constantine, Frogpool, Lameron, Lanner, Mornersmith, Grandpa Road and Deverun, Camborne, and Cadgeways, Cold Harbour, Come to Good, Edgecombe, Helston, Mevigizzi, Budawoods, Foxall, Mousel, New Possess and Wheel Jane. And Pensilver, Chasewater, Low Bar and Landrake! There's Porthleven, Nancy Gollum, Penzance, Petherin, Land's End, Double Boys, Myler Bridge, Penryn, Carlin Cross, Callington, Crimp, Curry, Lovely Cox, and Orstall, Bob, Min, and don't forget Falmouth Docks. There's Padstow, Rinsey, Indian Queens, Lower Wound, Goon, Hilly, Down to Hilly, Praising People, Ponson, Newt, Traverver, Maybert, Helps, Genwin, Perrinporth, Port, Navas, Brobus, Senna, Namra, Druth, of course, Nomas Land, Connets, Coach, Raven, and Bell and Crown Town, Goran, Haven, St. Kevin, Mainporth, and Carnadown, St. Ive, St. Day, St. Earth, St. Michael's Mount, and Pras, and Gwenapit, and don't forget Housetown! There's Goon, Dumper, Sticker, Soul, Tashcon, Wallow, Skinner's Bottom, Bugles, Splat, Harrow, Barrow, Samelian, a Swampool, Three Miles, Stoke with Curno, Four Lanes, Herod's Foot, Fiat, Cantero. My lovely Cornwall is the home to all the places in my song. There's plenty more, but if I'd done them all, it would be bloody long. And it recorded uh, fine, okay. the last one. It's it's still doing the thing where it looks like it's recording six different files. And then I end the call, and I have, like, 
a workable one, and then the others are like junk that I can't delete because MP3 Skype recorder is still using them. Oh, that's weird. It is weird. Uh, but I've also got my desktop account running here. So that one seems to be recording too, and that looks normal. So oh, I is think that I, who Brother Justin is? Right, so that's my second one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I've got like um, multiple recordings, and then you have a recording. Matt's doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And, and Carol's on an iPad, so I think yeah. I think we're okay. But I thought we were okay uh, on Thursday night, and we lost our recording that Matt and I did. Oh, and no. Will, and Will too. There's three of us Will. trying to record. Right. Nobody. And nobody. Nobody got it. Mine I looked like blame it was Skype. Oh yes, because they just made a bunch of changes. Yes, they did. They really did. They. I... So, um, but I have my faith. Uh, I have. I put my faith in Nutty as always. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I should have been recording that. Gonna <laughs> <laughs> hit record now before you say anything awesome. Okay. <laughs> We'll get your recorder running. So we it's start. on. Okay, all right. And I, I just formatted the card, so I've got, you know, eight hours. <laughs> okay. Awesome. No, we're not going that long. Well, I've got a lot to cover. <laughs> are we ready then? Yes, we are. And uh, Matt had a, had a birthday last week, which pushed our recording back another week. Yes, all that's fault for being born. He's not yep. here to defend himself right now, so... What? It's ridiculous. Get him back here. What's he doing? He stepped, he stepped away because he wanted to go get the get the cat back in. Oh my goodness! All right. Well, we are going. Is that to a be... euphemism? Hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, I can say whatever I want right now. <laughs> well, let's that get into the. Uh... Yeah, I found him. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> He was he was standing at the door with his paws on the door on the window looking in. What? What? He was standing at the door with right. his paws on the window okay. looking in. Yes, oh, that's sad. Right. What a sad sack. Okay, uh, we yeah. we do have a readers' theater. Mel, you wanted to say something about Shaughnessy. Assuming you're still there, I haven't heard from you in like forever. Huh. Are they still on the call? I see their name, but that's their name is there. But I don't. Uh, it yeah. says can't. Hit I just assu- huh? I just assume that they that they had nothing to say about. Uh, they sent us a message about Al and Silas. So it's like, yeah, they just they they said can't hear us, huh? Yeah. All right. Yeah, you guys <laughs> need to be heard because uh, you are half of the podcast and you're gone. God, I hope they weren't minutes. like just chatting away, thinking we heard them. Oh man, we're such oh we're horrible people. They were. <laughs> oh, so sorry. That's awful. Can you guys now? Yes. Yeah, now, yes. Yay. Oh, we just had to call you back, I guess. So what were your inputs before? So yeah. rude to us. I don't know. I don't remember. I'm like, we're jerks. We're Nobody's jerks. acknowledging me. <laughs> <laughs> nah, basically all I said was, did you guys notice that Jewel, Jewel was wearing literal rags, basically? <laughs> They they need to keep conning, and then yeah. that's when things blow up in their face. Yeah. yeah. Someone just take a Polaroid. That's what it sounded like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did. 
It must be fine, and it's rec- it recorded all you know our hour and twenty minutes before on both of my machines, and it looks like it's recording again. It's just it just makes me nervous. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it fits with the episode. Hmm. You being nervous, I mean. <laughs> yeah, my palms are all damp, just like he beads. Gross. Oh, oh <laughs> gross. That's too <laughs> no. far. No, we didn't need that. I can't believe that they're like EB. No, no, no. Well, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And he knew that it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt and Mel, are you still there? I Dang think it. I think you guys are gone again. Oh, no. You know, Matthew, well, Melanie. Yeah, no, they, they, they typed, damn it. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Yay! Trouble, <laughs> troublemakers. My Skype sucks. I don't know what's wrong with my Skype. You're going to have to get that fixed, dude. You do a fair bit of podcasting. Did this happen on the Defenders podcast you recorded earlier today? No. No, it usually just happens on this one. Slippery Sam, Bummer Dan, Bedrock Tom, Cold Deck Johnny. It's like <laughs> hilarious. They're like cartoon characters. Yeah. Yeah. So now when my grandparents would talk about people that they knew, everybody always had a nickname, and it was always a really weird nickname. Um, there was, what was it, if you, if you ever watch Gilmore Girls, <laughs> whenever the parents, the, the grandparents are talking about their friends, they always have these crazy names and crazy nicknames. <laughs> uh, like Sissy and Kitty and mm-hmm. Silly, yeah. and I, I don't they're know. Very I can't, waspy, yeah. They're so, but they're, they're like, crazy, cra- like, silly, cutesy first name, and then really long waspy last name. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's fun. I'm I'm halfway through season six of my Gilmore Girls rewatch. Ah, getting ready. Not yeah, getting ready. Not feeling the the hate for season six yet. Like That's... I guess it's when April Nardini shows up, but I kind of I like her. Mad at April Nardini, but I don't think that she's really a problem. I think the problem is just Luke just decides to be a jerk or something. Uh, well, um, he's not being any, uh, he's not telling Lorelai about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's frustrating. That's guys. <laughs> but oh. season seven is the worst because it's not the Paladinos. I guess. But, you know, I listened to the Vulture TV podcast where they had the Gilmore guys on, and one of the critics from Vulture said, you know, season six is worse, worse for her than season seven. And I'm, I'm just wondering, like, uh, watching it all back to back, if I'm going to be able to see the difference. I think that people reacted poorly to season six because what they wanted to happen for the characters wasn't happening, and it was hard for them to have Lorelai and Rory fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and, it was tough. It yeah, was tough. and that that's what makes it really hard for them, but I think that it created really good drama and stakes, whereas season seven, there's a lot of that missing. Hmm. Well, so. I'll be curious to, to tell. I will say right now, I, I love season five the most. And I don't get the hate for Logan. I'm just sorry. I don't get it. I think he's interesting. Anyway, uh, that was a tangent. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you for the feedback, Carla, Harold, Hasso, Nutty, Russell, and Will. All right, let's do our... Uh, <laughs> what? Sorry, baby long jams. <laughs>